What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. It's a pretty nice Sunday morning out there the day before Labor Day. Better stock up on your plants today. Most of the nurseries and uh, most of the material yards I know around are going to be closed tomorrow for Labor Day, as I think people should. Everybody needs a day off every now and then. When I was talking to Mark Fanick the other day, he was saying, we need a day to rest and recover. <laughs> and that sort of... Oh, that's sort of the way it's been. It's been kind of a crazy, hectic summer, but uh, a little cooling off, a little bit of rain. It's going to be a good week, and I sure hope you, I sure hope you have plans to get out and enjoy things out of doors, and at least some of that time in the garden. Maybe getting ready for fall vegetables. Maybe getting ready for fall flowers. Maybe just doing all that maintenance that you really didn't want to do when it was 108 degrees. Anyway, lots of reasons to get outside. Uh, a couple of open lines. Grab one if you'd like. Uh, Betty and Amanda are uh, my first two callers. And then it'll be Barbara. One line left. So you grab it if you like. And let's go ahead and get started. And Betty is up first. Good morning. Hi, Bob. Um, actually, my name is Betty Lou, I call you frequently because you're yeah. such a good help to me. So Lou or Betty Lou, I don't care. But anyway, right. um, so in in mid June, I took advantage of the Saws rebate landscape program mm-hmm. and coupon, and um, so I eliminated probably half the grass in my backyard all the way across the green belt, and I put down uh, a bunch of plants, uh, drought tolerant uh, hummingbird and uh, butterfly attracting. Um, sun loving plants and that, uh, and one pomegranate tree. And okay. also, um, so I've been watering them very diligently, uh, daily and keeping them, um, healthy. I've fertilized with Medina has to grow and they're surrounded with uh, a nice, uh, thick layering of cedar or mulch. Um, and so, uh, and it's pulled away from the trunk base of all the plants but you didn't you didn't put any weed blocker underneath it did you no good and i did i got rid of the grass with several uh visits to the ground of uh 20 percent vinegar and orange oil (laughs) very good yes and so it's they're they're all thriving they're all doing very 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 well except for my three uh, Turk skull caps, they all died. I don't know if they just don't like the clay soil here or what, but uh, the no, third no, one Turk's is on cap, its last Turk's leg. Cap or skull, Turk's cap and skull cap are two different plants. Oh, is, well, I don't know what. <laughs> do they have little Uh-oh. pink flowers, low yes. growing of pink flowers, or taller with yes. orange flowers? Little bitty pink flowers, and they're okay. all two okay. of them have That's, died, and the third one is on its way out. <laughs> that one, uh, those are pink skull cap. They okay. probably did not want to be watered every day, along with the rest of them. Skull cap okay. is one of those things that wants to say never bone dry, especially when first planted, but they want to stay on mm-hmm. the dry side. I've got a bench mm. of pink skull cap going up my driveway, and I've watered it once in the past 10 months. 
of course, it's well established. But, oh my uh, I, goodness! Yeah, I, I think you probably have done them in with kindness. So, uh, um, water <laughs> thoroughly when you water, but don't water those guys again till you can stick your finger in the ground and the soil's dry a good inch deep. Um, and once mm-hmm. they're established, you almost never have to water them. But uh, they just oh uh, they, darn they it! Couldn't couldn't take all your tender loving care. Okay, got it. So, so the question about all these plants. So, uh, I have a pomegranate tree, two aloe veras that are thriving, which I had in pots, and then all these plants now, that they're I they're going to have to be protected um, in the winter. Uh, yes, I know. Not cold hardy. Okay, yes. very good. Yeah. What do I do about the other plants? So, the, uh, to to get them ready for and protect them through the winter. So, I have esperanza, I have okay. salvia, I have mist which, which flower. Salvia? Which which salvia? Um, that's a good question. They have, uh, uh, <laughs> they have little white flowers on the tips and that's all I know. Okay. They're fairly upright. Yes, sir. Okay. That's going to be salvia, gray guy. And then you have Miss Flower. Keep going. Mm-hmm. I have Esperanza. Uh-huh. And that's it. Okay. Well, my pomegranate you know, and my aloe vera. <clears throat> yeah, um, a good dose. I uh, don't know when the last time you fertilized were was, but uh, they could all use some fertilizer. This will certainly help get them through the winter as well as, you know, okay. help them get some good roots established before it gets cold. Beyond okay. that, you know, just you'll be able to cut back on your watering. You're at the point now that it's going to be water thoroughly when you water and then don't water until the soil is good and dry at the base of the plant. That pretty much goes for all of these. The The mist flower mm-hmm. is going to probably need more than most anything else, but uh, mm-hmm. um, not really a whole lot. Um, it's going to be normal for things like the mist flower to freeze back. The Esperanza will take a good deal of cold, but if we have any weather mid-20s or below, it's going to freeze down, but it should come back out. And mm-hmm. uh, pomegranate is going to drop its leaves, be beautiful yellow fall color, but none of mm-hmm. these guys, other than the aloe, are going to need any real you know, special care. Now, aloe vera is not at all cold hardy. If you like aloes in the landscape, there are some other aloes that will normally take our winters. But aloe vera is one of the one of the wimps of the aloe world, and it will turn Mm -hmm. to mush if it gets much below freezing. Okay, and I do have, I forgot to tell you, I do have one um, crepe myrtle. But and it's um, going to drop its leaves. I, I hope you check to be sure that uh, the root flare was exposed when you planted it. Yeah. But beyond that, yes. you know, they're they're, they're just okay. turn colorful foliage and drop their leaves. And uh, you've made good plant choices. <laughs> and other good, than, one, than the one little watering uh, episode, know. then uh, I think you'll do very well with them. Okay. What do you uh, suggest uh, regarding fertilizer? Um, I have, I purchased Medina, um, has to grow from you guys in a big gallon. Is that sufficient or do I need something it's, more? That's, that's sufficient. With the has to grow, you'll need to reapply it probably monthly. Granular okay. fertilizers like Medina's Growing Green last for about three months. So you will reduce oh. Betty Lou's work if you put out some granular fertilizer. The, the okay. liquid has to grow is available much more quickly to the plants, but it's also used up much more quickly. So uh, okay. if you don't mind mixing it up and getting out there and pouring it on, you go right on doing that. Just plan on doing okay. it the first of the month, the 15th, whatever date you can remember. But okay. at some point, you're probably going to want to switch over to a granular product just because it's uh, 
not quite okay. as uh, not quite as needy of uh, of getting water or of uh, getting reapplied. That often. sounds great. And then finally, on the aloe vera, what what should I cover them with or not cover them with to make sure that they're protected when it freezes? Well, down into <clears throat> the middle twenties, you can simply cover them with. I like what they call floating row cover. My favorite brand has to be happens to be Insulate, but there are some other ones out there. Below 25 or so, you know, you're going to have to really double up on what you put on them. And if it gets below 20, you're going to have to put a little supplemental heat like a big incandescent light bulb or something underneath there. But uh, Mm -hmm. for the typical San Antonio winter, simply covering Mm -hmm. with floating row cover like insulate is going to be what you need. Okay. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. You have a good Labor Day weekend. And you do the same and enjoy, and uh, I'll look forward to our next visit. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, Betty Lou. Bye. All right, Amanda's up next. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. I have a couple of quick questions. Um, On my has-to-grow when I do my foliar spray, I had uh-huh. it written down, um, two tablespoons of liquid seaweed and a tablespoon of molasses. Is that correct? Okay, now you said Hastergrove starting out, and then we talked about seaweed and molasses. Hastergrove is a yes. fertilizer that is yes. can be used as a foliar spray. Um, are yes. you adding the the molasses and the seaweed to the Hastergrove when you spray? Yes. Yeah. Okay, then you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. That, that'll that work very okay. well for you. Um, I do recommend on the has to grow that at least periodically you apply it to the soil rather than as a foliar spray. The problem with uh, using any fertilizer as a foliar spray is the plants get used to it, and so they don't develop a very good root system. Um, I, you know, in, in fertilizers, I tend to be more of a fertilizer soil on the molasses and seaweed, a foliar application is a much better idea, but nothing wrong with combining them all periodically, but do give them some granular fertilizer every now and then so that you don't end up with a beautiful lush plant with a very poor root system. Does that make sense? Okay, so, yeah, so it would be better just to do the liquid seaweed and the molasses then. That's what I would do as long as you're using, you know, a fertilizer source. It's just the granular is so much easier, and uh, yeah. um, that, that fertilizer, every two to four weeks it sure does roll around regularly <laughs> when yeah, you're having yeah, to this... having to do it that often okay very good very good yeah i wasn't sure i had these old notes and i'm like oh man <laughs> well <laughs> you did the right okay. thing to call what's the other question and, and then how often would i i do the liquid seaweed and molasses if you can do it every two weeks, that's a good thing. Um, the liquid seaweed and molasses does several different things. It, it just, you know, it, it's so good for the plants. Liquid seaweed has like over 90 different beneficial compounds in it. The molasses stimulates the beneficial microbes. Um, and in the warm months, one of the things that it does is it toughens the leaves and prevents spider mite issues. As we approach cooler weather, it will actually make your plants more cold hardy. They can get probably five degrees colder before they're going to suffer any cold damage or any freeze damage. So if you can apply every two weeks, that's good. If uh, you get busy and you only get around to doing it once a month, that's okay. But in a, in a perfect world, try to do it every couple of weeks. Okay, very good. And um, on my tomato plants, I had noticed uh, um, the tomato hornworms, um, you know, they come out. 
Now, um, can we do the mixture of the liquid seaweed and molasses and the tomato, um, the BT for the hornworm? Absolutely. At the same time? Absolutely. And but, is, you know, is it better to use at night or in the morning? Um, this time of year, it doesn't really matter. The okay. the one thing about adding the BT is uh, just confine that to the tomato plants. BP, BT kills pretty much all types of caterpillars, and we're getting into the season when we have monarchs and you know so many other butterflies oh, yeah. migrating through. So they're not going to be attracted to your tomato plants, but um, all of your plants are going to benefit from the liquid seaweed and molasses. Just you you don't want to be putting uh, BT everywhere because you'll be potentially harming the larvae of a lot of our uh, our fall visitors. Yes, yes. And um, when will you guys be getting your onion starts? Onions uh, transplants, usually it's around mid-October. Last year, it's hard to believe, but last year they had so much rain in the growing areas that they were delayed. We really didn't start getting them until you know, well into November, but typically we begin receiving them around the 15th of October. Sounds good. I will keep an eye on them then. Get your soil ready. The better prepared the soil is, the faster they take off and grow. And uh, onions are just one of those wonderful things you can grow. They're they're easy. I know onions are cheap in the grocery store, but the ones you grow in your own garden just taste so much better. So be ready. They'll be along pretty soon. And and also on the onions, once you pull them, how long do you let them dry outside before bringing them in? I bring mine in immediately and just let them dry inside. Actually, I put them in my barn to let them dry. Um, doesn't, you know, doesn't really matter. I don't wash them. I think you're better off on most all root vegetables to brush what dirt you can off, but save a real washing until you're ready to use them in the kitchen because the, okay. the water just seems to shorten the shelf life. But once they're dry, I, I, you know, years ago, got some old plastic uh, soft drink crates that they used to deliver, and that's what I put my onions in because I can stack them up and still get good air circulation around them. That's that's one thing about onions, unlike potatoes and uh, apples and things like that. You don't want to just, you know, pile a, a box full of them because they won't keep nearly as well. You want to spread them out one layer thick where they get good air circulation around them. Now, your white and your purple onions, they have a shelf life of uh, several months, probably six to eight months. The yellow ones, the super sweets, because of all the sugar, they only keep two to three months. So, uh, you know, you, you probably want to separate them as you harvest them, if you grow a bunch of different kinds. I, I grow all colors because my business partner, Dr. Kirby, and a number of my friends just beg for onions <laughs> when I'm harvesting onions. So uh, I keep them separate, and, uh, you know, I'll always use and give away the, the yellows first. They're the tastiest, but they're the ones with the shortest shelf life. Very good. Thank you so much for all the information. It's always a pleasure, Anna. You get out and have a good Labor Day weekend. You too, Bob. Stay safe. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Uh, got to get a break out of the way here. Barbara and Larry will be my next two callers, and I get to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. It was so pleasant yesterday evening just sitting there and listening to the rain come down. Got a fairly hard rain uh, shortly after I got home yesterday evening, and that Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof, it's just, it's so peaceful, and I didn't worry about the lightning, I didn't worry about hail, you just don't worry about weather when your roof is from Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Now, it hadn't always been that way. I live in a 100-year-old house, and the old roof that was on there, I used to have to move buckets around when it rained, but boy, 20 years or so ago when I got Southwest Metal Roofing to 
put the roof on my home. Uh, I haven't thought about it since then because they do the best job. They put on a true lifetime quality roof. Have never called them even once for a single repair. Mine's a complicated roof. Three chimneys, lots of hips and valleys, balcony around three sides upstairs. That's the way they built those old homes. And a lot of roofers, nah, they just don't do the job they should. But Southwest Metal Roofing Systems does it right every time. Plus, it's so energy efficient. I'm saving money on my utility bills. My insurance company gives me a break on the premiums because they know they're not going to have to replace that roof. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, to me, is the only roofing company to call. Whether you're building a new home or a new building, go ahead and put a lifetime quality roof on it so you don't have to worry about replacing it later. And I know the insurance will pay for that old shingle roof when the hail tears it up. But, you know, those ordinary roofers, they're going to tear up your landscape and everything else when they put on that new roof. Put on a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof and stop worrying about your roof. Give them a call to learn more, 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Barbara and Larry and Charles and Mark. And Barbara is up first. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you uh, for calling. I have, well, thank you. I have one question. After this big rain, which I'm really glad about, I had an area that I had been trying to uh, get to back to dirt so then I could just there escape instead of having grass. Well, okay. after this rain, I have all these little patches of what I thought were like little ant mounds that came up. Uh-huh. Uh, they're only about an inch and a half around. Sure. And it's kind of granular, very like short. coffee grounds. Yeah, yeah. So what is earthworms. that? Is it something I need to worry about? Earthworms. <laughs> earthworms, that's really? Earth, that's earthworm spoop. The uh, earthworms, oh, okay. when we get a lot of rain, the earthworms will many times come up out of the ground. They're referred to as castings. A, an earthworm basically eats its way through the soil. And uh, the okay. soil goes in the front end and comes out the back end, and they digest the bacteria and things that are in the soil. So those are just a sign. So I never see the earthworms, earthworms, though. I mean, I haven't seen any. You go out at night with a flashlight, and you probably oh, will. Oh, okay. <laughs> and if we continue to get rain, they'll probably be flooded where you'll see them up on your sidewalks and everywhere else. But oh, those are okay. simply because little I had left behind. Heavily, right. I had heavily fertilized with growing green uh, about, well, before the last rain. And so yeah. my grass, of course, where I have grass is beautiful. But then I thought, well, maybe it's because I had put down such a heavy you know, amount of growing green oh, just everywhere. Love you. When I put down growing green in my <laughs> garden and then I go my back yard later has to plant. more than yeah okay great because my neighbor she texts me and she because she's got some too because I think I must uh-huh. have put a little growing green on her yard too but anyway <laughs> she's like Barbara I think these are termites and I'm like there I, there's no insects I see nothing except these little no. like you say little coffee grounds on the ground you know and reassure so her. I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, reassure her. And even if they were termites, nothing to worry about. Termites are a natural occurrence. If we didn't That's have what I've heard you say before. Yeah, right. but if they're in your home, <laughs> yeah. you need to do something about it. But out in the yard, no, no, these are, Yeah, okay, okay. Well, you re- relieve me as well as my neighbor. And I have one other quick question about my bougainvillea. After this rain, sure. it's blooming like crazy. And I have been religiously watering it every day. I put the has-to-grow liquid on it about once a week. You, I mean, am I not watering it enough? It's not in a in the ground. It's in, like, you know, those mailbox huge pot things that they have next door to your mailbox. And, I mean, but I water it every morning. But it doesn't Rain, bloom. Rainwater is magic. Rain does it. Rain okay. is magic. It's uh, the one thing that they think is that as a raindrop falls, it actually spins. And as it spins, it 
it, it actually changes. Uh, you know, I grew up learning that, you know, water was water. H2O is two hydrogen atoms and 109 degree, 109 degree separation attached to that oxygen atom. Well, apparently, that that angle can actually be changed by certain forces and when that happens the water simply changes character and apparently it may be absorbed better but there are many plants which know the difference between rainwater and water coming out of the hose and um, things like I don't know if you've ever grown oxblood lilies so you'll see very shortly mm-hmm. if you're not already seeing them tons of little red lilies and the uh, lacarse radiata the the fall red surprise lily uh, they simply sit there despite all the waterings but they know when that first late summer or fall rain comes and they jump up and bloom and I tend to be a theorier of a believer in the spin theory because uh, gosh it's been back I guess 2011 uh, my business partner they were their well was very slow they hadn't put in all the rainwater catchment at that point and they were actually coming and getting some water from me and when she put it out she was running it through a centrifugal pump which spun that water around much as they say the raindrops do as they fall and just raw airing with her groundwater her oxbloods didn't bloom but when she started watering them with water that went through that centrifugal pump all of a sudden they jumped up and bloomed like they thought it was rainwater so um, rainwater has some different characteristics now if it stays stored it loses that that special whatever so you can't put it in a cistern and expect it to have those same miraculous effects but it's yeah, still great water it's free water but uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway uh, long explanation but plants know the difference no it's wonderful and, and groundwater yeah. right okay okay because I, I was like i don't know what i'm doing wrong i mean i love my bougainvillea yeah, and it's, I mean, it's huge but it, yeah. it hadn't bloomed a lot until it rained <laughs> okay so, well here's one okay, mistake well, that you made here's one mistake that you okay. made at some point i guess you really can't call it a mistake but for a long time all the bougainvillea varieties we got were what we call short day bloomers they bloom in response to short days and long nights consequently they always bloom better in the spring and fall no matter what you do to them during the summer now most of our newer more modern bougainvillea hybrids are what we call day neutral and they bloom all the time they don't pay any attention to daytime or nighttime uh, the length of hours of darkness that we have. But you probably have the old Barbara Karst is one of the I old bet, reds. Yeah, because it's and, been there uh, forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the so, stems are huge. <laughs> yeah, it's always going to bloom better spring and fall, and that's in response to day length. And uh, you can't change that. <laughs> so I <laughs> so need a day-neutral bougainvillea. You need, you okay. need day-neutral bougainvilleas. Now, the way that a, a professional grower gets chrysanthemums to bloom, you know, in the, in the middle of the summer, because chrysanthemums are another example of a short-day plant. If you went in the greenhouses of some of the big growers, they have an automated system where about 4 o'clock every afternoon, this, this thing starts up and comes and brings out a black cloth which covers up the benches where their pots of chrysanthemums are growing, and then it retracts uh, early, you know, the next morning. So they artificially give these plants short days, even though during a long day time of year, and that's how they get chrysanthemums to bloom in July and things like that. Your bougainvillea, that's not practical, but that's what's going on, and that's why it blooms better. Oh, okay, great. Well, I'll get me a day-neutral one so that I can have blooms all the time. Look for Juanita Hatton. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. If you like that rich pink, look for... Juanita uh-huh. Hatton, H-A-T-T-E-N, yeah. H-E-T, I got it. Thank you. You're Thank you, welcome. Bob. And you, you're uh-huh. welcome. <laughs>
<laughs> Have a good day. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Larry. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking morning, my sir. call. Uh, again, I uh, appreciate you calling. Okay, Bob, so I've enjoyed these last couple of days of cooler weather and two showers. <laughs> yes, sir. Unfortunately, unfortunately, my yard has it. I have this issue, this issue previous, like the previous caller. I have like about an acre around my house, and I've had these little small mounds of thin layers of dirt. When you tap on that dirt, you see a whole bunch of little, I've been told they're carpenter ants or agriculture termites. Now, they're, 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 are, are they black? Black no, and they're small? White. Yeah, those are fire ants. And they, when we get a rain, the queens come out and they fly around and they start, you know, many, many, many new colonies. So fire ants are what you're looking at. Uh, agricultural termites would be white. These then, they don't bite. These little ants will bite the heck out of you given the opportunity. You probably want to get, there's a product you can get at any feed store or good nursery, which is called Come and Get It. It is a bait that is specific to fire ants and carpenter ants. It's not going to be harmful to people or pets or birds or lizards or anything else. But if you suddenly find yourself invaded with fire ants, you can get a bag, a, a bag, you know, a small bag, a ten or twelve dollar bag of it covers about a quarter of an acre, so it goes a long, long way. But on a dry day, put this out either morning or evening, and you'll wipe out the majority of those troublesome ants. I'm sorry, Bob. I might have misspoke, but they're white, and they're uh, they're little layers of mounds. They're probably about an inch and a half mounds, okay. and they're spread all over the yard. And they're eating up all my grass. Half of my grass has already disappeared, and I see nothing but dirt. So that's why okay. I was thinking they're okay. Well, ahead, now those those may be agricultural termites, but they don't eat live grass. Uh, they feed on the dead grass leaves. They feed on the dead grass runners. If something is killing your grass, it could be grub worms. It could be one of the fungal diseases. But uh, these are called twist-wing desert termites. Uh, people just call them agricultural termites. And they don't eat live grass. All they eat is dead grass. So if they're out there, they're having a feast on grass that has already died. But they're they're not contributing. If your grass is thinning out. Like I say, it could be grub worms. If it's St. Augustine, it could be one of the brown patch diseases or zoysia. Um, or it simply could be the long-term effects of the drought, which are going to be reversed. But uh, those those little agricultural termites aren't causing the decline in your grass. Now, if you want to get rid of them, you can put out some beneficial nematodes, and they will certainly kill them. But uh, they are probably the most harmless form of termite we have because they don't get into the wood of your fences or your home and uh they don't eat live material they only eat dead material yeah you're right you know uh like i said i had a about an acre around my house and most mm -hmm. of my grass had already dried because of yeah. you know not able to water a whole acre sure so m most of my grass was dry and i noticed that yeah they were eating that dry grass uh yeah. but they've eaten all that dry grass and now i've got mostly nothing but dirt and i was just determining or trying to decide whether to just go ahead and uh, plow my yard all over again and start growing some new grass, or should I spray those, uh, I guess they are agriculture ants, because everything you described they are uh, doing, 
Uh, yeah, they're, and they're not a problem. If you want to get rid of them, you can, but it's just, you know, time and money you don't need to spend. I would give it a week or two before you think about replanting, because if your lawn is Bermuda, most of your grass is going to come back. Uh, Bermuda turns brown when it gets dry, but then it turns, you know, comes back green again. Uh, my yard was totally brown 10 days ago, and now I've got new green grass starting to shoot up everywhere. So, don't don't rush to judgment, so to speak. Uh, you may have a lot more live grass out there that just had simply got dor- gone dormant. And uh, if you, it, you know, now if you have St. Augustine and you let it get too dry, it will die. But I suspect most of your grass is Bermuda, and you may be surprised at how much of it comes back. I'd, I'd hold off a week or two before you think about doing anything. And then if it's still brown, you call me and I'll talk to you about your options. You're right. Well, thanks for that information, Bob, and you have a blessed day. You do the same, Larry. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. All right. Better get a break out of the way here, and uh, then it will be Charles and Mark will be my next two callers. But I get to talk to you about the Tank Depot. And once again, all this good rain, and maybe you're sitting there wishing, gosh, I wish I'd gotten some tanks and I was catching rainwater. My business partner caught about 3,000 gallons over the past two days uh, from the rain. You know how much that would cost you of saws, especially if you're on one of the higher watering tiers? And it's not nearly as good water. The rainwater is far superior water and is basically free. But you have to be able to contain it. And that's where the Tank Depot can help you out because they have virtually just every shape, size, and kind of tank you can imagine, including a lot of rainwater catchment tanks. A lot of tanks, uh, especially for use in urban areas, areas that really don't even look like a water storage tank. Of course, they have bait tanks, transfer tanks, chemical tanks, that tank for the back of your pickup. They've got all kinds of tanks. But uh, when we get into rainy season, I always start thinking about rainwater and rainwater catchment. And Tank Depot has the best uh, best brands. They have the best quality. They certainly have the best prices. And they can deliver if you need them to. Tank Depot is located, the retail location is located over on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue. Closed is uh, today, and I'm sure they'll be closed tomorrow. But uh, weekdays you can visit them. You can always check them out online at tank-depot.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Charles and Mark and Victor and Al. And Charles is up first. Good morning, Charles. Uh, hello. I would like to know if it's your house in your own backyard where you where you have your house. Are you growing any apple, pear, or blueberry plants? Uh, I have pear trees. Uh, they're not in my backyard. They're in my garden. I live on several hundred acres, so I have have enough room to spread out a little bit. But uh, apple trees, I are very susceptible to cottony root rot and. Um, I, you know, they just, apples are one thing that I can buy a good apple in the store. I can't buy a good peach. I can't buy a good plum. So those are what I'm going to grow. Blueberries, I've tried, but I've never found a variety of blueberry that does well. Now, I live up in the hill country. I live on relatively poor soil. And I, it's hotter in the summer and colder in the winter. But uh, if you're going to grow blueberries, you better be in a area with pretty rich soil 
and expect that the blueberries you harvest are only going to cost you about $30 a pound. I just, I don't, it's fun to grow things and pick, but um, it's, uh, you won't get a lot of blueberries. The main thing you get out of trying to grow blueberries is the satisfaction of having grown your own. But uh, blueberries and apples are two things that I just don't recommend real highly unless you like to experiment and unless you just accept the fact that they may or may not do well. Pears, as long as you get the blight resistance variety and uh, varieties, and as long as you get two trees so that you get good cross-pollination, you can grow good hard pears. Now the soft pears, the Bartlett's and the pears that you see in the grocery store, uh, again, they are so susceptible to bacterial fire blight, I don't recommend them for this area. But the harder pears like kefir and Lacanti and Orient and all of those, you, you can grow a good pear. Okay. Uh, are you growing any zoysia grass at your house? No, I I have grown zoysia grass. I used to work for a nursery, and we grew several acres and harvested several acres of zoysia. I like the narrow-bladed varieties, the emerald and the el toro. I don't like jammer, which is the wide-bladed variety, but... Uh, uh, quite frankly, my, you know, my vegetable garden's great. My own yard is not, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to win yard of the month. I'll just put it that way because living on a well, living in, uh, on a well in the upper Glen Rose aquifer, I don't have water to water a lot. So my yard is basically Bermuda and it basically goes dormant in the summer months. Okay. So you're not growing any apple or pears at your house, right? Correct. Okay. Well, I was just curious. I enjoyed your program. I have a, a qu one more question. When I called in this morning, I got a busy signal. Then they eventually hung up. I called back. Then I got a busy signal. Then the station hung up. This happened about three times. And about the fourth time when I called, I got on this, a waiting list. Is this normal? It is. It is normal. And I'll tell you the little secret of how to get you know, how to have a better chance of getting through. The FCC mandates that we are on a time delay so that if it's necessary to bleep something out, my engineer is able to do so. So when you actually hear me hang up on the air, that actually happened about eight or nine seconds before. So if you want to try to get through, you need to anticipate eight seconds before you actually hear me hang up and try, you know, dial at that point. Um, we do have four phone lines. I do take the phone calls in the order they come in, and I'm very blessed with a lot of callers. So if you want to get on more quickly, you call me at 5.30 on Saturday morning, or you call at you know, five minutes till eight on Sunday mornings, because uh, I, I'm just very, very blessed to have a lot of people that enjoy talking. So yes, sir, that, that is a toro, totally normal state of affairs, but... Uh, uh, and there are a lot of people out there. I'm my audience is probably a hundred thousand people, a number of whom call every week. So sometimes it's a little difficult to get through. Okay, I was just wondering because when I call the KLBJ gardening program, uh, I get on their waiting list right after I call. So I was just curious. Well, they don't have as many callers as I do. I'm, I'm, you know, very flattered by the fact that ours is the. Uh, number one show on the air and uh, they're somewhere way down the list so um, it's it's easier to get through some places than others but I appreciate you calling me and you have a good Labor Day and uh, let's move on and talk to Mark uh, good morning Mark hey Bob how you doing I'm good how are you today 
Very good. So I just need kind of some basic help. I have uh, my backyard has a, a sort of a bare area, uh, about four by 12 uh, feet. And so I want to plant some grass. I have St. Augustine. I think the bare area is because I've had some uh, work done and concrete put in, and I, I don't think it's due to disease or okay. too much shade. I have a lot of shade, though. I do have a lot of shade. And so I'm wondering how do I prepare the the dirt or the you know the bare area and then where do I get my sod and then do I need to roll it or what what all do I need to do? Well, there you know it's uh, a four by eight area. It's not very big. Um, if you and you really don't have to do much of anything to prepare the soil, you just need bare dirt. Uh, you need to you know get rid of any obvious stuff on the surface. Uh, uh, if it's weeds or existing grass, you just mow it down as low to the ground as you can. Uh, do you have good good grass in other parts of your yard? Yeah, no. There, the rest of the grass is pretty good. Again, it's it's shady, but it's St. Augustine. Um, I know you mentioned is it palmetto that you would use? Yeah, um, palmetto or Del Mar. But um, if if it were me, I would go in the parts of the yard where you have good thick grass, and I'd just dig up some little three inch by three inch plugs and transplant them into that bare area and they will spread and cover very very quickly and that saves you you know going out and the, the problem when you go out and buy squares of grass number one a lot of grass companies don't want to sell you less than a pallet of grass which is six times as much as you need and if you put grass sod down on top of that soil all of a sudden you've got an area that's an inch higher than everything else around it so um, right. i i would tend to just go take some little plugs out of your other good grass just put a little shovel full of compost over the areas that you take it out and in two weeks time it will have totally filled in again if you plant those little plugs about you know see about 12 inches apart uh, if it's four by eight, that means you're going to eat 32 little plugs of grass. It will grow and cover in a few weeks' time, you know, during the growing season. Not going to happen that fast in 108-degree summer days, but fall's a good time, spring's a good time. So if you want to, you can, uh, you can, you know, just use some of your own grass. Otherwise, you will uh, find somewhere that will sell it to you by the individual piece of sod, and um, you want to be sure it's good and fresh. You want to be sure that it was cut, you know, no more than 48 hours before and not left stacked on a pallet somewhere. You will put that new grass down. You will, for that small an area, you're probably not going to go out and rent a water, water fillable roller, but right. you're going to go out and stomp on top of it. And if you have any friends that spend too much time on the couch in front of the TV, get them to come stomp on it. <laughs> They'll get it pressed out a little bit better. But um, what you're trying to do is just take out the air pockets between your new grass and the soil underneath and um, that's about all there is to it if you want to put a little organic fertilizer down first you can certainly do so do not put compost underneath your grass compost generates right. carbon dioxide and your grass roots want oxygen so it's fine to put a little compost on top after you put your grass down but uh, uh, choice is yours if you can find somebody who'll okay. sell you grass by the square unfortunately it's not always the best quality grass but uh, um, Any recommendation yard, for where to look, for I, where to where to go for grass? Nobody is a hundred percent. In general, um, the the best grass that I see, you know, ninety percent of the time, there's a company. 
called Thomas Stone and Landscape. They have a material yeah. yard out at the corner of Redland Road in 1604. Their main location's out in Bulberti. Quite honestly, I don't know if uh, Bill sells it by the piece. I don't know whether you have to buy a half pallet at a time or whatever. Um, you might, if you you know, if you find that you're going to have to buy a pallet of grass, talk to your neighbors around, see if anybody will split it with you because obviously you don't need a full pallet of grass, but. Um, right. I, you know, the great majority of the time, uh, Thomas has uh, good grass. On the west side of, uh, northwest side of town, Dells, frequently, they usually have pretty good grass out there because they grow their own grass. So uh, those would be my two choices. Northwest San Antonio, check out Dells. Northeast San Antonio or, you know, Stone Oak, that area, check out Thomas Stone Landscape. Okay. And then if I did those plugs, how deep would I go down and i mean i don't have to obviously pull up there's no i mean there's roots no. that come with it but how how yeah. deep do you uh, you you go down an inch uh, oh okay back in my early days in the industry uh like i said uh, we i worked uh, with a nursery that we grew a lot of grass and we planted a lot of grass and at that point, uh, you know, a lot of people wanted to actually plant the yards with little pieces. And in this case, we weren't digging up individual pieces of sod, but we're taking those squares of sod and cutting each one of them into 20 pieces to go out and plant it because obviously more labor, and which was cheaper at that time, but, uh, you know, less grass needed. And the way we planted, it was a two-man job. We'd, we'd chop the grass into little pieces. And then one guy walked along with, uh, you know what a grubbing hoe is? It's kind of like a pig. Yeah. but has a broad blade one guy go along and just gouge a little hole in the ground the guy behind him and throw down a piece of sod and stomp on it and uh the guy in front of him is walking along swinging that you know that grubbing hole making little little depressions in the soil and the guy behind is throwing down the squares and uh stomping on them and that was how we right. planted grass and that's basically what you're going to do if you to choose to do it yourself and the plug size, one more time, you would say how big? Three inches by three inches, four inches by four okay. inches. Nobody's going to get out with a measuring tape and, and right. judge you right. by how exact it is, right. but just enough to get a, a good little square of grass and get some roots on it. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Bob. You're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call, Mark. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Goodbye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Victor and Al and Jose and Margaret. And Victor is up first. Good morning, Victor. Good morning, Bob. I have morning, a sir. question. I have a question on scorpions, Bob. Um, okay. What can I put around the perimeter and what can I put on the inside? Well, around the perimeter, uh, diatomaceous earth is the best thing. I mean, they, they won't go through it. If they walk through it, it gets in their joints and it kills them. Um, it has to stay dry is the issue there. So if you have wide eaves, uh, you don't have to do it very often. Middle of the summer, you, <laughs> you seems like you put it down in June, and we don't have any rain until uh, September. But uh, diatomaceous earth is one of the few things. The different kinds of poisons and things like that simply do not impact scorpions. They are one of the toughest creatures on earth. I saw a documentary on them one time, and they froze one in a block of ice for 48 hours. When they thawed him out, he walked off. They heated him up to 180 degrees, and he danced around a little bit, but uh, survived it just fine. They hit him with a radiation dose 200 times what would kill a human, and the scorpions took it without any problems. So they are tough. So, you know, the 
I, I think that if you put your, your diatomaceous earth anywhere that they could potentially get in. Now, my old house, you know, I, I keep it around the doors. My windows are pretty tight, so I'm not worried about them getting in there. And I have an occasional scorpion inside. Uh, inside, and you have to be careful where you put them, but about the only thing I know of that you can do is put out glue traps. And, uh, mm -hmm. and somebody was telling me, might even be Walmart, that they get a, a glue trap that kind of folds up like a little pup tent. And you put them right up along the baseboard. Some put them out in the middle of the room. But it seems that scorpions like to walk right along the edge of the room. And uh, they'll walk right onto a glue trap. And, you know, that's then they are stuck, so to speak. But once again, you have to do it carefully. Um I was sleeping in an upstairs bedroom of my old 109-year-old uh, uh, house, and I heard a ka-thump, 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 sound like a wooden-legged pirate coming up the stairs. And I went, and one of my little kitty cats had managed to step in one of the glue traps and was coming up the steps with a glue trap attached to her foot. We did a little bit of trimming on the hair on her paws to get that thing loose. So, um, you do, you know, it's it's scorpions are an issue and um you know i if you live in the country and if you have new construction you're going to have some around but the best two things i can recommend if it's practical uh the glue traps inside and the diatomaceous earth outside great i'm going to look for those glue traps uh in a while and then the diatomaceous earth i picked some up at moore's uh uh -huh. earlier this week for my mother-in-law so uh I know where to get the to get the stuff yeah, up. Yeah, dust, uh, thank you. When it, thank you very when much. It dries Bob. out. Yeah, just dust mm -hmm. it out there. And uh, I don't use glue traps outside because you end up catching lizards and things that I I want to have around. But inside, uh, you know, as long as you keep your pets away from them. I also because I also have two black labs. Um, I many times if I have an issue like that, I'll put them inside a cabinet or you know, under an area where the dogs aren't likely to get to them. It doesn't hurt them, but uh, it, it distresses themselves, so to speak, with, you know, and I, I love my doggies, but they get something stuck to their foot. It's almost comical how they run around on three legs trying to shake it off, and that can make kind of a mess. So it uh, be be uh, be a little conscious of where you're putting them, but uh, I have many friends that have uh, gotten their scorpions under control with the glue traps. Oh, great. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for all your help. I appreciate it's, it. It's always a pleasure, Victor. Thank you for the call this morning. Yes, sir. Goodbye. Thank you. All right. Uh, only about 30 seconds till news here, so don't rush out. Um, so anyway, we'll get you right after news. It's a beautiful Sunday out there. It's a great day to put out fertilizer. Your soil's wet. Now, if you're using organic products, you don't have to water it in. But with wet soil, it'll go to work a lot faster. Also, be getting that soil ready for your fall bedding plants and your fall vegetable plants. Lots of fun things to do outside today. And, of course, call me if you have more questions. This is KTSA Radio. We're right here in San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Yeah, don't dial right this second, though, because all those lines are taken. Al, Jose, Margaret, and David. And let's just go right back to the phone lines. And Al's up first. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, I have four pecan trees uh, in two-gallon containers that my sister okay. gave me uh, uh -huh. when when's the best time for me to plant those 
Are they just in standard in nursery ground. containers? Yeah, uh huh. And these are little pecans that she sprouted herself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, you need to get them in the ground as as soon as you can. Um, your your growers, they're actually they have a special pot for pecan trees that are you know narrow like that two gallon container, but they're about three feet tall because that pecan is not a true taproot, but a pecan doesn't do well for a long time in a container. It needs to be able to get that central. Uh, lower part of the trunk, way down into the ground. So sooner you get those planted, the better off you're going to be. Uh, they do, pecans do like fairly deep soil. So if you're on a shelf of rock, you're either going to have to build up a substantial, you know, raised bed, or if you're like me, you have portions on your property where you have very shallow soil, portions where you have very deep soil. And I live in Ascosa County, so I have a lot of sand ah, out here. Yeah, you have no problems with that at all. You just get them planted where you've got room for them to grow up and make a big tree. But, uh, you know, if you were out buying them, you're probably going to buy pecan trees, usually bare root because of the fact that they are, they're hard to keep in containers uh and in that case i'd tell you to plant them january or february wherever you can find them but you're blessed with oh. some trees where you're getting 100 percent of the root system so uh this afternoon would be a real good time to do it do i have to worry about like if they're girdling or something in the container do i or do i just plant them like that well what you do when you when you take them out of that pot how tall are these trees Oh, about a foot and a half, maybe. Yeah, I doubt that they've had time to form girdling roots. But just look carefully at that uh, root ball when you take it out of the pot. If you see roots that seem to be circling around and around in the pot, yeah, go ahead and take your pruning shears and just snip them. But, you know, if she'd let them get six feet tall, yeah, you'd have big issue with girdling roots. But a one-and-a-half-foot tree in a two-gallon container, I doubt that that's an issue at all. And should I put them in the ground the same height that uh, is they're at now in the pot? I think you most certainly should. Um, those trees have not been transplanted since they sprouted and grew, so the root flare should be right there at the surface. The, you haven't had a wholesale nursery had a chance to mess them up anywhere, <laughs> so you, you've got the best pecan tree. The, the, only, the only issue is that uh, it's not a matter of size, but a tree has to reach a certain degree of maturity before it can start bearing pecans, so you're going to be looking at a, at a pecanless tree for about the next seven or eight years, but when it starts producing, then hopefully it'll give you a good crop every year. But you sound like a young, patient man, so uh, <laughs> no no issues at all. Just get them planted, water regularly, you know, especially to get them established. And then once they're established, they're, they're going to be pretty much self-sufficient in Atascosa County. They're, they're a great tree for you to have. Well, actually, I'm an old, impatient man. Well, then here's here's the other option then, Al. I was trying to be nice here. But uh, uh, when that tree gets, well, when it gets established, give it, uh, you know, plant it now and give it until February to get established. And then if you want to, I guess you could do it yourself if you have a source of a graft wood, but you could uh, pay somebody to come in and graft those trees for you. And when you're grafting, the wood that they're grafting onto your tree is already mature. So as soon as it's yeah. big enough, I mean, a, a grafted tree could have pecans on it the first year. 
Um, but uh, grafting, and grafting's not difficult. You can learn how to do it yourself. But in the case of pecans, we want, and we refer to it as having the wood delayed in development. And we would go out, the tree that we want to graft onto our new little tree that your sister grew, we're going to harvest that wood in about November. We're going to put it in the refrigerator, not the freezer. We're going to put it in a big plastic bag. We're going to maybe put some moist paper towels in it so it doesn't dehydrate. We're going to stick it in the refrigerator and leave it until about February. And then we're going to do our grafting at that point. So you got to do some preparation. You don't just go take a, a limb off a pecan tree and graft it onto another pecan tree. It's uh, oh, a little bit more of a science to it as well as an art. And, uh, I, you know, I learned to graft in college. I had an old horticultural professor that took us out, and we grafted everything from peaches to pecans. And, and it's not difficult but, uh, you know, a lot of people, and, and in your area, you probably have enough pecan growers that uh, have somebody around that actually do the grafting that will already have the good wood to graft onto your tree because you want to put a good variety on there for your area. But that's the way you can speed up the pecan production. Yeah. Hey, Bob, can I ask you another question? I have a friend that has um, a pecan tree, and his pecans are getting these little black spots all over them on the skins. Uh, is that what kind of is that a disease or? Yeah, that's, you know that's that a disease. That's a disease called pecan scab, and it's pretty much variety specific. Uh, you're, it's hard to control. I mean, you can spray with fungicides early in the development of the pecans, and you can limit it. But it's best just not to plant pecan varieties that are susceptible to pecan scab fungus. Uh, there's some of them that are super susceptible. There are others um, which are very resistant to them. I mean, Wichita is very susceptible. Uh, Mohawk is not susceptible hardly at all. So if you go out and buy pecan trees or if you are if you do decide to graft these trees that you already have, be sure and get wood from one of the trees that is resistant to pecan scab fungus. Do you think all those pecans on that tree are going to be lost now because it has that pecan yeah, scab? Yeah, majority of them are. Majority oh, of them are. Unfortunately, once you get start getting those brown spots on that husk of the pecan, so to speak, yeah, the husk. Meat is, yeah, the the meat is generally has problems inside as well. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, I Bob. Mean, wait, been... wait and see. Wait and see. But uh, it's it's not a good thing to have develop. I'll put it that way. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome, Al. Sure appreciate the right. call. Thank you, day. sir. Right. You too. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's go on. And uh, Jose is up next. Good morning, Jose. Good morning, Bob. How are you, sir? Okay. I have Good. a question. I have an apple tree, and it uh-huh. uh, started last year. The the, the leaves they got a brown spot. Most okay. of the leaves they have brown spots. Okay. Uh, just kind of spots throughout the leaf. It's not like the whole leaf is turning brown on the edge and then just almost uh, turning blackish. They're just no, brown. It's spots, brown spots, and then it dies in a couple of weeks. And does the leaf die or does the whole branch seem to die? No, it just the leaves. 
Okay. They probably have just gotten a little too dry, Jose. That sounds like just drought damage. But uh, apples are very susceptible to a disease called cottony root rot, but this does not sound like cottony root rot. This just sounds like your tree got a little too dry back in July or early August, and uh, I wouldn't be terribly concerned. I think it will, you know, come go ahead. It's may or may not put on more leaves this fall, but it will almost certainly leaf out nicely next spring. Now, it will help that tree if uh, every time you think about it, pick up the hose and just just spray up and down the trunk and all this. Did you get good rains the past few days? Uh, yes, no, but the, the problem is not with the water. I, I think the, that's a disease because the the uh, the apples this year they they got uh-huh. a, uh, like a, 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 a black spot in, in mm-hmm. the side. Some of the the apples that die um, right away and, and they don't grow. Some of the flowers that die too. Okay, well the uh, um, one thing about the different diseases. There are a lot of diseases out there that will hit stressed trees, trees that are drought stressed that won't get on a tree that's having, you know, that is getting all the water it needs. The brown spots in the apples themselves are frequently where a bird has pecked it or an insect has gotten after it. But uh, again, if the, if the trees are stressed, and this has been a very stressful year for trees, they can get some uh, some issues in the fruit. Uh, if you if you see this starting to develop early in the season, spray with corn water tea. Get some whole ground cornmeal and soak it uh, overnight in water, and then use that to spray the tree. That will stop most of your uh, you know the different fungal diseases that that can cause the the brown rot in the fruit. But once it's already started, there's not a whole lot to do about it. Uh, but if you spray early in the year, and again you know spray maybe once a month or so. Uh, you can head off a lot of this kind of disease, and this has been just—it's been a very stressful year. It's been hotter than usual and far drier than usual. So, apples are one of those trees that you know they need a good, thorough, deep watering every two or three weeks to keep them from getting stressed. But uh, the fungal diseases, which are what you're probably seeing both on the foliage and on the fruit, you can stop that with uh, whole ground cornmeal soaked in water and then just spray it over the foliage. Yeah, because I put the water at least at least once a week. Sometimes when it's very hot, it's uh, twice a week. Well, and you need to water really thoroughly. If if this yeah. is a mature tree, you need to be putting out probably fifty gallons of water. It's not like watering your grass. Uh, apples are much deep, more deeply rooted, and you got the water, you know, much more slowly and thoroughly. And there's just there's nothing like rainfall. We we're just not in the part of Texas that grows real good apples. You can grow them, but just be sure when you water that you're really, really getting it thoroughly and deeply into the soil. Yeah, that's only uh, three years old. The the first year, I got a lot of like kind of apples, and uh-huh. and last year they got a lot, but they started dying, getting uh, yellow, and, and uh-huh. dies out because they have the the, the spots. No, it's not okay. the, uh, from the birds. It was something okay. like disease. Well, then you can control that with uh, with your corn water tea. That will stop most okay. all of the fungal diseases you get on the apples. <clears throat> okay. Okay, Probably yeah, want to start it. in about June or so. Okay. Thank you very much. I, I God bless. Uh, okay. Jose, I appreciate it. And thank you. You're certainly welcome. You get out and have a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks for the okay, call. Okay,
Thank you. All right, let's talk for a minute about Rhonda's and Rhonda's Nature's Way. Now, let me say, first of all, she will be closed tomorrow. Heard from her yesterday, and uh, they are closing on Labor Day. Normally, they're only closed on Sunday, but, hey, everybody needs an extra day of vacation now and then. But on Tuesday, she'll be wide open and anxious to see you. And let me tell you, if you value your health, if you like feeling good, if you like having energy, you need to talk to Rhonda about the things that she can help you with. If you have issues with digestion, if you have issues with sleep, there are natural things that are out there that will certainly help you. You don't have to be running to the doctor for some pharmaceutical medication that's going to cost you a lot of money and probably have side effects. Rhonda specializes in natural products that will help you with so many different things. I buy her trauma cream, which is a comfort cream, and let me tell you, sure does help if you get my business partner's husband got into fire ants the uh, day before yesterday, and he was sure happy that he had some of uh, the, uh, the comfort cream to put on there. Takes the pain out of wasp things. I take her immune support formula. I think it's very important keeping your immune system strong uh, to resist things like the COVID and so many other things that come along. Good vitamins. Let's face it, a lot of our diets are just not, don't have everything that you need. And let me tell you, the kind of products you find at Rhonda's are far superior to what you're going to find at the big chain pharmacy or the grocery store. And plus her knowledge. She has been at this for many, many years, and she can tell you what will help you simply live a better life. And she does the special things, too, like the uh, Beamer therapy and the red light therapy. Do this, does this in both locations. She's also back to doing reflexology now that the uh, COVID uh, restrictions allow it. Reflexology she does at the Northside store only. Let me tell you, I went a lot of years without ever having experienced that. <laughs> she uh, did went to her for a reflexology session, and I can't wait to go back. Just what an absolutely amazing experience. So many reasons I hope you'll go see Rhonda. They're open Monday through Saturday most weeks, just closed on Labor Day this week. Southside stores on Southwest Military Drive, Northside store in the shopping center there at the corner of I-10 and Callahan. Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, my four lines are occupied by Margaret and David and Ralph and Jan. So Margaret's up first. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. I just wanted to give you an update, a testament to you said you had 100,000 plus listeners and then your own influence. I drove by Broadway at Austin Highway this week, <laughs> and uh, six weeks of looking at, well, really, <clears throat> months, years of looking at devastation at the Mott, you taught me that word, and mm-hmm. uh, it's all picked up. Oh, good. Well, very yeah. good. Yeah, it. I don't know how many listeners there are. They they have services that measure the number of people in San Antonio, but uh, there's a lot of folks outside San Antonio. So I'm just very flattered. I <laughs> people tell me that this and every week I tell them you need to get a life, but I sure am glad you do. But I'm glad that uh, that issue that you called me about uh, got resolved. And uh, well, well those uh, trees were just uh, the wood, the dirt was stacked up halfway up mm-hmm. I, I i went around the block and i looked one tree is losing leaves and and yellow so i guess the watering and the feeding and if they would make those wells at the bottom what that whatever those are called I are these is, is this an old established tree or is this a newly planted tree 
oh no, these are heritage trees. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I I, um, I don't think the wells are necessary. I mean, it's uh, the it might help a little bit, but if they've gotten those root flares exposed and gotten all the crud out away from them, uh, those trees will they'll respond without really doing a whole lot else. If they want to do you know a little fertilizer things like that. That's nice. But old heritage trees, they've got their roots. You know, or you know, all the way over to Terrell Hills, <laughs> and yeah. so well, uh, was, you. The first time you, I noticed those trees when I was in high school, uh, over fifty or sixty years ago, and then um, um, some of them are gone. A uh, two, three are gone. One caught fire when the building yeah. caught fire. Yeah, I remember when that happened. So I mean. Uh, I, I feel sorry. You know, I'm glad that everything has a happy income and I mean outcome. And and thank you for your uh, suggestions. Greatly appreciate. Well, thank you for your report. You get out and have a very special Labor Day weekend. Thanks again. Bye bye. Thank you, Margaret. Bye. Okay, David's up next. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. Yesterday you morning, had sir. a caller talking about motorized uh, fertilizer spreaders, uh, uh, compost spreaders, early- or. A it, it wasn't fertilizer. It was, uh, it was, yeah, compost spreaders. Uh, earlier this year, we had a company uh, do our house in Pasadena with the compost, and that's what uh-huh. they use, a motorizer. Really? It has a huge hopper on it, big old Honda motor on the bottom. And that guy whizzed around that lot yard with precision like you could not believe. He had one guy in the truck, and when the hopper got empty, the guy would just, uh, through a little chute, would push more in it, and away they go. Wow, that I've, sounds like I a have never, business somebody needs to be in in this area. Are you looking for a second job? <laughs> no, sir. I'm, I'm coming up on 77. i got my hands full here in Utopia, keeping the places up. But, I uh, yeah, understand I have never seen, any, never seen anything like that in a rental yard. I'm sure if you went to try to find one, it would be costly. I would imagine so, but I tell you what, it's, it's a good service uh, where you can find it because uh, whether it's for whatever reason, you know, a lot of folks can't do it themselves, either for physical reasons or for lack of time. But uh, well, I hope somebody gets in the business of uh, of doing that over here. I I sure appreciate you letting me appreciate you letting me know about it. I've I've seen the blowers, but I have not seen the uh, the ones that actually physically spread it. But uh, uh, maybe somebody's listening that will look into that a little bit further because uh, I'd sure send them a lot of business if they do a good job for a reasonable price. So I appreciate you letting me know. Sure, and we're going to have it done again later on this year or, you know, during the fall season once we get rid, rid of, well, got done battling the darn uh, webworms, side webworms. Yeah. Boy, they've been tearing us up in, in Houston area. You know, and, and I, my business partner has a nephew that inherited a house over there, and I, it's we're, it's one of those things that we don't see much of uh, in San Antonio, but uh, they were apparently just horrible over there, and they were they were bad in uh, the yard of the the home that he uh, acquired. But uh, uh, you know, in talking to Howard Garrett about it, they have uh, some problems there. But he was saying that people are able to control them either with BT or even putting out the little trick of Grandma Wasp a little earlier in the season. But uh, it's a problem that I. I've not had to face, so uh, I'm sure glad to learn a little bit more about it. And uh, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people in the Houston area, but but BT and or the trichogramma seem to be the 
the the trick and the I guess the good thing is that most of the people that I talk to if you catch them before it gets too bad your grass does regrow pretty quickly and having the good rains that uh, y'all have had over that way just like we finally got this week that that will sure help going into the fall we caught them early enough where the grass just started thinning none of it really uh-huh. turned you know patches uh, of brown unlike some of the neighbors, but we've been hitting them pretty hard with BT and a couple other products, the granular stuff, too, and alternating. Uh, I'm up here in the country, wife's there, and she's kind of taking care of it, so hopefully I told her to start looking around for the little green worms on the ground. If we don't <laughs> see many, we, we've won, but I'm going to have to have the compost put back down to kind of green things and get things back to normal again. Well, put put some good organic fertilizer out when you can as well. Just, and uh, we just, uh, We're we getting just into that season when plants start growing again instead of just sitting there and struggling. Uh, uh, fall's just a, a, a good time of year, and I tell you, a lot of us are – a little bit tired of the kind of weather we've had this summer, so uh, they're saying that we'll actually, and, and I'm sure it's pretty much all the way across Texas, we'll probably get our first real cool front on about Wednesday or so, and I imagine you're as ready for that as I am. I am. Uh, I just put out the uh, uh, the Medina uh, fertilizer two weeks ago. Try oh, to you're good shape then. Yeah. When is the next time I should put it down to keep this thing going? Uh, probably around Thanksgiving. Will do. Thank you, Bob. You keep up the good work. Appreciate it. And you have a good uh, Labor Day weekend. Sure, thank you for the call. All right. You bye. All right. Bye. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and talk to Ralph. Uh, have, we'll put that, that break off for another two, three minutes. Uh, good morning, Ralph. Good morning, sir. Yeah, I hear you're good with uh, orchids. I started growing orchids as a science fair project <laughs> in the eighth grade, and that wasn't yesterday. Wife bought me one. I've I've heard you talk about it before. You're getting that uh, whatever it is off the roots. Mm-hmm. All right. What and what other soils do I need for that? Um, what you're going to go to, and I would enjoy the flowers on it because when you repot, it does shorten the the flower life. But when the flowers have faded, um, I would take it out of that uh, sphagnum and. The best thing for growing most types of orchids, including the Phalaenopsis, is a uh, fur bark mix. So it's actually Western uh, red fur bark. And uh, some people grow in straight fur bark. I add a little bit of charcoal to it. Um, sometimes add a little bit of zeolite and other things to it. But you'll, you'll just get a uh, an orchid potting mix that uh, is bark-based. And um, then you repot about every three years. Okay, uh, well, it's in a small pot right now. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, and, that's what I was kind of. I'd heard you talk about it all before, and it never, never dawned on me. And I come home last week, and voila, I got one in the kitchen window. <laughs> well, she did a nice thing for you. And this type of orchid is what we call a monopodial orchid, which means it grows upright. It's never going to have to be in a real big pot because it makes this growth going straight up. There's some other types of orchids that spread out that periodically have to be put in bigger pots, but uh, you'll be able to grow this plant into uh, you know an enormous pot without having to go bigger than a six or seven inch pot. You probably start it out in a four inch pot if it's in that little uh, two and a half inch plastic pot they usually come in. But uh, yeah, so that's, about, least, that's about what she's in. Yeah, yeah, just a small pot and the uh, the bark yes, mix and. Um, you, when you get around to doing it, if you have any questions, you give me a call. 
Ah, uh, sir, I do very much appreciate it. I just regular that regular morning sunlight and that uh, kitchen window will work for right? Yes, it needs a good bright light. If it's a good east window, good strong sunlight, that'll be fine. And um, yeah, it uh, enjoy the blooms. When you when you do get around to repotting it, it's just a matter of kind of teasing away that uh, the long fibered sphagnum without really breaking up the roots. If you have roots that feel soft or feel almost hollow, those roots are dead. Just clip them away with a pair of kitchen shears. The roots that are, especially the ones that are kind of a tannish color to uh, a bright green color, almost a gray gray green color those are your live roots and uh um your plants should take off and grow and give you flowers for many years to come they usually put on their new flower spikes uh sometime in the fall or early spring so uh and those phalaenopsis can stay in bloom for four to six months at a time had a friend here that grew one in a hanging basket uh with the bark and he went i think he said it was eight years that he had either buds or flowers on that plant so uh of course he had a greenhouse which makes it a little easier but the only thing wrong with orchids is they tend to tend to be addictive. Uh, I started with three plants. By the time I got out of high school, I had 300. By the time I got out of college, I had 3,000. So I'm warning you, uh, the bug sometimes does bite, and you just don't know where to stop when you start growing orchids. But uh, you enjoy it. You call me if you have any questions on it. Uh, thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, Ralph. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, now let's get a break uh, going. Uh, Jan will be up first after this break, but I get to talk about another fellow that will help you out with issues in the yard, whether it's hot web worms, whether it's uh, preventing the grub worms, whether it's getting the fertilizer done, whether it's compost tea application for some sort of disease issue. That's what Sam Sitterly does, is he provides you with a an organic alternative to these little companies that come around and put out poisons and chemical fertilizers, synthetic fertilizers. Sam does it all right. He's been doing it for close to 30 years, and he does it all with organics. No long-term contract either. You're not signing up for him to come back uh, any more than you like. He's just there to help you as you need and provide the level of support that your landscape needs. Some folks need a little, some folks need a lot. Sam adjusts uh, what he does to whatever your needs are. It also starts by visiting his website and taking a look at the services he offers. That would be Green Grow, G-R-O-W, GreenGrowOrganics.com. And when you're ready, set up uh, that free consultation, and he'll follow all the COVID requirements and do whatever it takes and tell you what he sees that it will take to make your landscape the prettiest one in town. And then you guys uh, decide who's going to do the different things that need to be done. That's Sam Sitterly and his business, Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Let's get back to gardening. It's going to be uh, Jan and Don and Frank and Regina. And uh, Jan is up first. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I wanted to see, can you plant radishes now, like the watermelon radishes? It's a little early. Um, they just they don't like the heat. In the in the heat, they just will not develop a good root. And if they do, they will be so hot you can't eat them. If the weather does as the weathermen are forecasting, and uh, you know that's anybody's guess, we are supposed to start cooling down this next week. But typically, it's late September 
early October before we really start planting much in radishes. And the smaller radishes, the cherry bell, the French breakfast, uh, those are the first ones we plant. If you're going to plant the bigger watermelon types, probably going to be early October before I'd be putting them in the ground. Well, will they freeze when we get the first freeze in maybe November? No. If if they're little bitty tender plants, they will suffer some freeze damage. But uh, if they've had three or four weeks to grow and harden off, they'll go down into the teens with no damage whatsoever. Oh, awesome. Okay, so um, I was thinking about planting. We have a really big yard, and uh-huh. I don't want to have so much grass. Okay. Because it's really hard to keep it alive. I think the SARS one's about 500 a month for me to keep this yard going. Uh, you know, I think most people have way too much grass in their yard, so I think that's a very smart move. So in the back, um, we have oak trees in the, kind of like in the center, but the yard's 110 feet wide across in the back. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about planting like, um, I, I think you would say a couple of, you have to have about two peaches trees instead of just one. That's correct. And what, what kind, I know I've heard you say the kinds, but I don't know. What, uh, um, what area do you, where, whereabouts? Uh, right by UTSA. Okay, so you're in about a 550-hour chill zone. Um, Sam Houston would be a good variety. La Feliciana would be a good variety. Uh, John Fanick would be a good variety. Um, you just you want to get sort of a moderate chill peach. If you're up in the hill country, you'd be looking at seven or eight hundred hour peaches. If you're way down south, you'd be looking at four hundred hour peaches. But those would probably be my top three choices. Would be um, Sam Houston, La Feliciana, and John Fanick would be three that would be good good varieties for you. Yeah, and then I thought about having a fig tree, like maybe mm-hmm. in the corner. Uh-huh. And then um, I know avocado has to be hardened off, but right. I would really like to have an avocado tree, too, and I don't mind protecting it first couple of years yeah. or so. Well, on um, the avocado, you can get, uh, there's a variety called Joey that's a good one. There's another one called Layla that's a good one. Um, there, There's several good avocados out there. And on your fig... You have a choice. Uh, the most productive fig that I know of is one called white everbearing, but occasionally people get problems with that little fruit weevil that gets down to the end of the figs. Our two best varieties uh, that don't have the problem with the fruit weevils, one of them is called Alma, A-L-M-A, and the other is uh, Celeste, or sometimes sold as Celestial. And these are fig varieties that form a drop of rosin down where that little opening is, and that keeps uh, insects from ever getting in there. But uh, figs are easiest of all fruit trees to grow in this area. And if you like figs, uh, that's that's I'd almost make it mandatory. You need to have a fig in your yard. Well, now, I don't like fruit- them, but my, my husband does. <laughs> well, you're a good <laughs> wife then. Uh, to uh uh to, to satisfy that that craving for figs but uh, uh then plant it way back in a back corner out of the way and plant your peaches up somewhere closer but all those trees are going to need good sunlight and you need to the fig needs to be where it can be watered regularly it's uh, yeah, figs are fairly water demanding sunlight out there that's why yeah. i have my garden as well so i don't well, know how long before the trees would grow big enough to shade my garden would be another issue 
Well, but, um, keep them keep them fifteen twenty feet away from the garden if you can. The figs going to grow the be fastest growing, and fig trees can turn into monsters in two or three years. But uh, yeah, I'm and they sure. need a lot of water, right? Yes, uh huh. Yeah. So um, I don't know of any other kind of tree I want. I don't think I want a palm tree or an apple tree. Apples don't grow that well here. That's right. Uh, a tree that is a little slower, but a tree that makes a delicious fruit. The uh, um, Asian persimmons are uh, are absolutely incredible. They're Taninashi, Eureka, Hachia, Tamil Pan. There are a bunch of different varieties. And uh, I don't know if you've ever eaten uh, the big old persimmons, but when they're green, they are so tart, they are inedible. When they are ripe, mm-hmm. we used to have an old couple. We had a tree uh, early on here at the nursery, and we had a couple I'll always remember named Cunninghams, and they would come by and, and pick the persimmons, and they brought us persimmon bread, persimmon cookies, persimmon everything, <laughs> and it was some of the best stuff we ever had. It Just trying to get the nursery started, none of us had time to really pursue that, but uh, you can do a lot of good things with persimmons, and they, they, they're they slow growing. They don't take up a whole lot of room, so right. it's, uh, about- it's a fruit. Go ahead. What about Asian pear now that you said Asian? Yeah, yeah, they will do fine. I'd have a couple of varieties, but uh, uh, they are blight resistant, and they would be good trees for you as well. Okay. So um, I have another question. I have a friend that had a service told her to rake her yard real good then they came and they um aerated it and then they put down peat moss to make her yard look better i'm like okay i don't know about this well that's um they're the extension service and some folks think that doing things like that is a good idea peat moss is antimicrobial um, and it's certainly not a renewable resource. I just, other than some of the long fiber, fibered moss that we use in air layering and things, uh, I I just pretty much, peat moss is something I don't recommend. And I think, to me, aeration is a waste of time. You'll get the same effect if you put down good compost. It will naturally yeah. aerify the yard. And so, but, you know, it's their yard, and uh, as long as they're not damaging their neighbors, I guess they can do whatever they want to with it. But they're spending a lot of money unnecessarily. Yeah, I totally agree. And it was a bunch of money. I bet it was. I bet it was. And it was just What what is the old saying? What does the song say? A a fool and his money are soon parted. (laughs) So, (laughs) again... Um, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's just a gardening practice that I don't engage in. I'll just put it nicely that way. Right. And Fanic would have all these, um, fruit trees we talked about, right? They will. I know they have some trees still in stock, but, uh, most of the big growers that produce these trees ship them, uh, November, December, January in that time period. So, uh, if they've got them in containers, you can plant them today. If not, just get on the reserve list and, uh, plant them when they come in. So the fall is the best time to plant them. You can plant from a container 365 days a year, but the selection and the availability are always going to be uh, best in late fall, early winter. Yeah, I always thought about when you're trying to start out in 100 degrees weather, (laughs) and you're just a tree, 
I just it's hard on you and on the trees, but it, it can yeah. be done. But no, uh, uh, December, January, that's the time most of you, and even into February, that's the time most of your fruit tree planting is going to happen. Now, figs are a different story. I would plant your fig as soon as you can because uh, figs okay. don't mind the heat as long as you hit the water. And uh, you'll, you know, you'll have figs next year. You might even have some figs this fall. But your other trees are going to be something that I would probably put off till uh, December, January to, uh, to find and plant. Okay. Thank you very much for your help, and I enjoy your show. I sure appreciate it. And you have a great weekend. Thank you. All right. You too. Yeah, bye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Don and Frank and Regina and John. And Don is up first. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. This is Don down in Devine. Yes, sir. I was going to throw some seeds in the ground today, and I don't know if it's the right time because I'm I'm planting out cucumbers. Is it too okay. late for them now? Um, if you can look into your crystal ball and tell me what the weather's going to be like, uh, I can answer that. But typically, most cucumber varieties are going to be about 45 to 55-day crops. So in Divine, chances are you have a pretty good chance of getting some fall cucumbers. Now, if it's a year that we have an early freeze, you know, you've just lost the two bucks that you paid for the seed. If it's a year that we don't have a freeze until January, you're going to pick a heck of a lot of cucumbers between now and then. But uh, uh, seed's cheap. You've got room to do it. Yeah, I think you're fine to plant, but get them in the ground. Okay. Is it too early or is it the right time to start putting in Swiss chards and beets? A little early on beets. Uh, Swiss chard, I think you're probably fine on. Are you going to do from seed or from plants? Seeds. Okay. Yeah, no, I think you're fine to plant your Swiss chard now. Uh, I personally like to start the seed and set out young plants, but uh, if you're used to growing them from seed... uh, and if we do indeed get the cool down they're expecting. Swiss chard is uh, one of our most heat-tolerant plants. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't hesitate to plant your Swiss chard any time now. Yeah, because the neighbors thought I was crazy. I was plowing up the front yard again. <laughs> I figured I'd just put all the cucumbers in the front yard because they vine. And I've tried to grow off of cattle panels, and the heat, for some reason, yep. kills all the vines out. Yeah. So I've gone back to laying them back in the ground and just leaving them. Well, some of those cattle panels can heat up. I find that things that produce a lot of foliage do better on the cattle panels. Things that have kind of thin foliage can kind of roast against that metal. But, you know, the neighbors may be right, but there's nothing wrong with being a little crazy. Yeah. Besides, every time I try to grow the cucumbers, I have a bee cramp roof. I I mean, bee cramp uh, fences. Uh Uh-huh. Privacy fences, and that just heats them up, and it just bakes them in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would, that, that, that would that be That ain't a good issue. idea. I done found that out. <laughs> well, you're learning from your mistakes, but uh, go ahead and get those planted. Go ahead and get your chard planted. I would hold off on the beets for at least two or three weeks, and then we'll see what the weather's doing then. All righty. Thank you very much, Bob. My pleasure, Don. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, Frank is up next. Good morning, Frank. Hi, how you doing, Bob? I'm uh, good. I, how I about you? Couple, I got a couple of questions. I got uh, that. I'm sure it's well now. I am. I think it's root rot all over the place in the backyard. And uh, 
I'm raking up all the dead, you know, whatever they are. It's, well, it's all Augustine grass, but uh-huh. all the all the dead runner things, raking them all up, and then looks like Bermuda grass is trying to grow in there. So, should I just leave that alone? Mix up with the Augustine grass also. Well, St. Augustine is a stronger grass than Bermuda. Healthy St. Augustine will choke the Bermuda out. Uh, I don't think it's root rot. I think it's probably grubworm damage if you're pulling up runners and everything. Uh, in idle conditions, St. Augustine will dominate. If the St. Augustine gets thick, uh, your Bermuda's going to come out and, uh, you know, be your thickest and best grass. But um, there's no such thing as a perfect grass. Uh, you know, uh, each one of them has its own issues, has its good points and has its bad points. So, um not if if you want the St. Augustine to dominate, just be real good on your watering and fertilizing, and it eventually will take back over. Uh, Bermuda okay. grass is not normally nearly so affected by the grub worm, so uh, that's the sort of thing I see a lot of. Is people don't keep the grubs under control, they lose a lot of their St. Augustine, and then the Bermuda kind of takes over for a while, and then the St. Augustine gradually reclaims its territory. So. Uh, um, just uh, keep an eye out for those uh, June bugs next year. Put your beneficial nematodes out and head that head that problem off before it gets started. Okay. And the other thing, real quick, uh, you know, uh, these little bitty old they call them Christmas tree plants that are in pots that you buy. And I got one on the back porch. It's about two feet tall. I'm wondering, can I put that thing out in the yard somewhere, or up against the is, fence? And let it... Is it a is it a Norfolk Island pine or what kind of tree is it? It, it's, I don't know what it is. Probably is. It's got all those little skinny limbs, uh, little uh, branches yep. off of the main limb. Yeah, that's and, uh, that's called the Norfolk pine. And if you want to plant it in the yard, you need to move to Hawaii. Um, it, oh, it's, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, they they will they will freeze and die. They'll be okay down to maybe twenty nine or thirty degrees. But if they get colder than that, they will freeze and die. So. Uh, uh, afraid you need to keep that one in a pot and bring it inside okay. when it gets real cold. All right, Bob. Well, that's it. Then, uh, and then just uh, treat those nematodes with a uh, beneficial, huh? Yeah, beneficial nematodes. When you see June bugs, put out your beneficial nematodes, and they will kill the grub worms before they can eat your grass. They also control fleas. They also control fire ants. They do a lot of good things. These are very, very beneficial to have. But your timing, you can't just put them out and they're there forever. When you start seeing June bugs around your porch light, that's when you need to put your beneficial nematodes out for the grubs. Okay. Well, that's it. And thanks a lot, Bob. You're welcome, Frank. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay. Have a good weekend. All right. Uh, let's talk to Regina. Good morning, Regina. Yes, hi. I'm calling on my car phone. Do we have a good reception? I'm hearing you just fine. Okay, great. Uh, no feedback. I was. I had um, a few questions. The biggest one is related to trying to set in a new garden here in West Bear County with the limestone and the variable depths of real earth. Uh-huh. And um, <clears throat> we're putting in posts here on the last two days, and um, some areas are just solid limestone, and they're not draining, you know, when mm-hmm. we put water so I'm just wondering if I um, if if this is something futile. If I know I could do a, the raised beds. That's what you'll have to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's the only curious. option. You need to have you need to have 12 to 15 inches of good soil, 
and okay. quite frankly, there you know there are a lot of areas that just don't have that. Now you can make it decorative. I mean, you can build raised beds out of anything from rock to uh, um, some people use cinder blocks. Uh, some people. I, I don't recommend treated wood, but there, if you were to use something like the new Eco Vantage wood, you could do raised beds out of that. But one way or another, you're going to have to create 12 to 15 inches of soil to be able to grow much in the way of a vegetable garden. So uh, up to 15. Um, you're saying I need to consider 15 at least. You, yeah, you need to have about 15 inches of soil, and however you go about building it up to accomplish that, okay. uh, that's strictly up to you. But uh, that's okay. about the minimum that you're going to be able to grow good vegetables. And then based on that, um, the idea was to, you know, expand and put in, uh, just like the previous caller was mentioning, a, a few um, fruit trees. I already did buy a Joey avocado um, and and now I'm concerned from that conversation that I I jumped the gun. Um, I'm well, hearing that we... I'll need to place it. I'll need to place them away at least 15 to 20 feet, and that would make it in a solid stone area. Yeah. Um, uh, the, now the area. avocado doesn't get that big. Avocado only needs to be maybe eight or ten feet away. But with Joey, and Joey is a good avocado variety, your thing you're going to have to watch is that they eventually become cold hardy, but the first year or two, you may have to cover them in the winter months until they develop that rough bark. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. Uh, but don't dial right this second because all the lines are taken. We're going to continue talking with Regina for a minute, and then it'll be John and Judy and Omar. So uh, <laughs> we'll have a line available for you before too long. So let's uh, bring Regina back up again. And so what else can we talk about with getting that garden started? Well, um, I was hoping it wasn't an entirely futile um, effort and investment of money Um because we had seen that other trees and, and you know, shrub native things that were growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly when we made that um, two-and-a-half-foot dig um, for the post, we were just sure. finding plenty of limestone. Um, well, and it's, you know, that's just the case in a lot of the area. Your other option, yeah. if you don't want to build raised beds, uh uh, I know some of the feed stores sell these, uh, you know, the empty, they get these big plastic tubs that have uh, molasses in them. It's actually, a, you know, or, or a feed material. And there are a lot of people that garden in big tubs. Now, I don't think it's practical to garden in five-gallon containers, but if you get these, uh, you know, big old tubs that are three feet by three feet, you can grow a lot of things in a uh, container garden. And, okay. uh that's sometimes oh. the way to go if you're not real sure where you want to put it or, you know, you want to spread it out over a wider area. Okay. And um, the, what do you, what's the heat um, transfer for the things like the, the water troughs or those corrugated um, metal things? Um, you can certainly use those. They're a little more expensive. And mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the ones that last are galvanized, and the galvanizing, the galvanized, yeah, I mean. the zinking in, the zinc in there 
will be somewhat damaging to the roots, but that seems to it seems to age fairly quickly. And I know a lot of people that grow garden very successfully in those. Uh, if I were doing it, what I probably would do is smear the inside uh, with something like Vaseline, and then just take a cleaner's bag or something like that, and just press up against it. Uh, which will, or you can just you know paint the inside with some sort mm-hmm. of uh, paint that will stick to metal, and that'll keep uh, that sink from leaching into the soil. I guess it doesn't really leach into the soil, but where the roots get up against it, it will cause some root burn. But um, again, I know people, especially once the troughs get a little bit of age on them, know a lot of people uh, that garden very well in metal right. containers. My concern with that one was just the heat transfer. That was the thing on that one. Yeah, no, um, it's 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 probably worse in a black plastic tub than it is in a metal tub. You notice it more, but we're not worried so much about the temperature of the container, but the temperature of the soil inside. And right, uh, right. metal doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't transfer the heat uh, any more than anything else does. And like I say, okay. the the bright metal tends to reflect uh, a lot of the heat, so I, I don't think that's an issue. So and so, um, going over to the fruit tree thing. Then, do I need mm-hmm. to burn these up pretty high, or can I still possibly um, have some success? Because, like I said, the the mountain is it mountain laurel? Yeah, mountain right. laurel finds its way, and the persimmon has found its way, and and then I have some really large elms and um, and and oaks, the live oaks. Uh-huh. Uh, and then mature, well, you know. Yeah, the, the Mount Laurels, Elms, Oaks, uh, and that, that native persimmon, they are seem to be much more tolerant of our alkalinity and uh, the very poor soils than most fruit trees are. They're, um, we, we have some things, like a Blanco crab apple. We have a Mexican plum that does moderately well, but these are not things that are really going to produce much in the way of edible fruit. And okay. um, so, I, yeah, you're going to need to provide them with a reasonable amount of good soil if you're going to get okay. any production so from them. Berms? Am I, we're talking berms or yeah? If you can like berm that? it up, you know, 12, 14 inches high, you can. Yes, you can certainly do that, and you should be able to grow up very well. But uh, you may want to stay with the more compact varieties. There are uh, dwarfing rootstocks on on some types of trees that will keep the trees from getting quite as large. But uh, uh, we're definitely not going to be growing pecan trees or, or probably even pear trees are going to want more soil. But if you're looking at peaches and plums and figs, yeah, you can burn them up and, uh, and do fine with those. Okay, so even that Asian pear that you mentioned wouldn't wouldn't like it as well in the long run it's going to take a big berm (laughs) you're you're going to want a a a berm the size of one of those piles of material you see along the road (laughs) okay um could i ask another question in regard to um, okay i i have i'm a bit of a procrastinator so the (laughs) organic um the like the growing green and the espuma Uh and those organic things i i end up uh, they end up getting, I, I never finish them, and so I tried to throw them in some water and said, let me see if I can make some compost tea out of this. But, mm-hmm. of course, they're funky and anaerobic, and I didn't yep. know if I could salvage them or use them if they're anaerobic. 
Well, it's, you know, once they're exposed to oxygen, the, the aerobic microbes will take over. But granular uh-huh. fertilizers were really meant to be applied, you know, in a dry form. So uh-huh. um, they they do keep, I mean, as long as that bag doesn't get wet, it's going to be good 20 years from now. So okay. that well, they, type of fertilizer. Yeah, they've gotten wet, which is the yeah. reason I was gonna yeah. just um yeah no, you need you need to just break them up and spread them out the best you can it doesn't really okay. work to, to yeah no those are the ones the that i they had gone on to the lawn basically when they get mm-hmm. that way and yeah. I, I i've noticed they they still have some function and to, to improve that you know oh but, yeah uh, I absolutely was, i was going to try uh, lately it was enough to uh say wow i really need to put these in my plants but <laughs> no. okay you're, you're better you're better to crumble them up as best you can rather than try to soak them in water okay okay and uh the spider mites it was the um this would be the last one um it was molasses with seaweed or molasses with fish the is with seaweed the seaweed is actually the important thing if you're going to use one thing and one thing only you would just use the seaweed because it's what toughens the leaf we just find adding a little bit of molasses stimulates so much good microbial life i use like using that combination but your Mm -hmm. your thing that works against the spider mites is going to be the seaweed and you want to get at least two tablespoons of seaweed per gallon of water and it is a foliar spray it doesn't uh it works directly on the leaves as far as toughening the leaves this is not something you water with but something you will spray on okay two tablespoons of seaweed per gallon of water and add about a tablespoon of molasses if you want to add a little fish to it you can you can add a bunch of things and turn it into more of sort of a cocktail that the plants will love but the seaweed Mm -hmm. is the critical thing for spider mite resistance okay well um the other things that they would love then if i'm trying to because because the spider mites have done you know with the sun and the heat and yeah. all that have really done a number on um, several of my container plants. And I had to go container because of the deer and the soil sure. initially. But um, like I said, we were going to try to. <laughs> You're try getting to that fence in there now. <laughs> so Yeah. That, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, then. Thank you so much. Well, good luck with your project and your new place, and you call any time I can advise. More than happy to do so. And have a good weekend, and we will move on to John, who is next in line. Good morning, John. Good morning. I have a question about um, fall armyworms, but I want to start it off with uh, a observation of a dragonfly. I'm blessed with uh-huh. a lot of dragonflies and one of them perched up on a little limb and I was watching him eat something and boy did he dispatch it and uh, I saw a little moth wing come off of uh-huh. it. Now yep. my question about fall armyworms is how many of those moths does that dragonfly have to eat to control <laughs> four acres? Uh, it, it would take a swarm of dragonflies that would show up on radar. It, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there, there are different ways to do it on acreage. Of course, the BT is what uh, often gets used. But uh, if you can find somebody that's got the little strips of trichogramma wasp, that's going to be the most effective thing that you can put out. And, of course, the little wasps parasitize the eggs of the army worms, so they've got to go out before the worms actually hatch. But uh, I'm thinking that their recommendation is maybe 
three or four strips per acre so uh, uh, it's a pretty easy thing to do and not a real big investment to uh, get maybe a dozen strips of the trichogramma eggs and uh, well uh, what what you get when you buy the little strip it's actually a moth egg with a developing wasp larvae in it so for acreage that's that's probably going to be your best control on the fall armyworms and the uh, better garden stores will have that well, the one of our managers walked in. Donna, are trichogramas still available? Yes, she's telling me they are. So, yes, your your better garden centers will have them. And if they don't have an adequate supply, they can certainly get them ordered. Well, I never saw anything like what they did last year. The Bermuda didn't even have stubs hardly sticking up no. out of the ground. It was it, unbelievable. Yeah, so they can really do some damage. They seem to be cyclical. Um, I, it's typically we don't get bad infestations, uh, you know, in, in sub- subsequent years. Usually it shows up every three to five years, but um, I, you just never know. It's it's one of those things. And that's if there is a disadvantage to the trichogramma, it is you just really don't know. You're putting them out without knowing whether there are, you know, thousands or millions of eggs out there. But, uh, again, it's it's just good insurance. Well, I've seen the adults already this year. Uh, okay. I mean, well, the, that, the worms. The, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. worm stage. And the, right, with, the, with the adult stage, if you get it directly on them, spinosad will kill and control them. Um, the spraying the BT is usually what is done because it gets on the foliage and then anything that the caterpillar eats, it will consume the BT and die. But uh, uh, just timing is everything. Get them out as soon as you can. Different product for a different stage of the Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, BT and or spinosad are good for the adult. The trichogramma, uh, they destroy the eggs before they can hatch, but they don't do anything to the adult uh, caterpillar. You're a walking encyclopedia. Been doing it a lot of years and have made a lot of mistakes myself, so I'm just trying to save you from some of those, John. And I appreciate the call. You get out and have a great Labor Day weekend. Same to you. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Actually, I have one open phone line for about the first time in the show, so if you want to dial quickly, you'll probably get it, 210-599-5555. We're going to visit with Judy and Omar and Brian, and Judy's up first. Good morning, Judy. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good this morning. How are you? Good. Um, I'm wanting to redo my front yard to a tropical look. Okay. I'd I'd like as many evergreen things as possible, even though I love everything that's not evergreen, like the Esperanza and the purple fountain grass. Mm-hmm. Um, do what do you think about Mexican fan palm? Um. There are two varieties of Mexican fan palm, uh, Robusta and Filifera, and one of them is cold-hardy, the other is not. I would rather see you plant a Mediterranean fan palm because they're going to be cold-hardy, you know, down to probably 5 to 10 degrees, but they don't grow as big or as tall. So uh, Washingtonians, just be aware that in a real severe winter, you may have some damage. Okay, um... Do they look about the same? 
Um, no, the Mexican fan palm is a much bigger, much thicker trunk. The nice thing about Mexican palm, fan palms is just that they are very, very fast growing as palms go. But, uh, you know, it's I just hate to see people invest four or five years in growing one, and then we get a cold winter and it folds up and dies. Uh, for tall palms, I tend to recommend either the windmill or the stable. Probably the Sabal palm, um, and there's a dwarf and a standard form, is going to be the closest thing in appearance. But uh, a lot of people grow the the Washingtonias, Mexican fan palms, uh, but just every now and then. I I don't have a crystal ball, and um, we seem to be having warmer winters. But I definitely would not recommend the uh, Cocos plumosa, which is the uh, the queen palm people call that. That one is not is not at all on my recommended list. But uh, with the with the Washingtonias with Mexican fan palms, most years they're going to do just fine. Okay, and what other plants would you recommend to put in the same bed that would be evergreen with a tropical look? Well. You know, it just depends on how cold the winter gets. Unfortunately, when you talk about, you know, that tropical look, we're talking about plants that aren't cold hardy. The tropics, you know, right. that, that <laughs> section between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn is the warmest, the the place where you're least likely to get freezing weather. So um, there is a beautiful plant that stays evergreen most winters called an Ixora, I-X-O-R-A. And um, uh, in a real cold winter, it'll freeze back, but it has beautiful flowers, big clusters of flowers, and uh, uh, Ixora would be beautiful. Some of the How varieties. How tall does that get? Oh, about, uh, there's a compact form that gets about 10 inches. Most of the standard varieties get about three feet. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, there are several varieties of asparagus, which are, you know, very ferny looking and do help create that tropical look. There's asparagus, uh, what they call the uh, Ming fern, asparagus myriocletus, gets uh, three to four feet tall and it's a beautiful feathery form of asparagus. It will only freeze if it gets really cold. Asparagus plumosus is very, very feathery and it stays lower, only freezes if it gets real cold. And then of course the standard asparagus springeri, which uh, is what most people grow in the asparagus family. Uh, it stays evergreen in all but a very cold winter and uh, it would certainly lend a tropical look to it. Uh, there's a plant called a Japanese Aurelia. Now, this is more for the shade than for the sun or morning sun, just no hot afternoon sun. The uh, Japanese Aurelia, also known as a Fatsia, F-A-T-S-I-A, Fatsia japonica, uh, it creates a very tropical look, and it's going to be evergreen in all except the very, very cold winters. Another good plant for the shade is holly fern, Sertomium, uh, and it, it's evergreen, and it'll go down, golly, into the teens without any damage whatsoever, and uh, it will create a nice, soft look. Um, as far as true tropicals, um, the philodendron siloam is uh, very tropical in appearance, and uh, uh, it'll go down well into the 20s before it gets any freeze damage, and 
I only remember once in the past 30 years it's actually gotten cold enough to kill them here, but uh, philodendron siloam would be a, a good plant to create a kind of a tropical garden look, and it's going to be everywhere is that most just winters. The, is that just the common split-leaf philodendron that you see everywhere? There, there are two plants that are called split-leaf. The philodendron siloam is the one you see in the yards. The other split-leaf mm-hmm. is called monstera, and it will not take the cold. It's grown as a house plant. Okay. And when I when I make this bed, would I put the weed block underneath or not? Absolutely not. No, weed block's a horrible thing. The only place I put it is where I want to kill everything underneath it. It just ruins the soil. If you've got an area of weeds you just can't control, you put it down to kill all the weeds. But weed block is okay. a big mistake for virtually every use out there. Okay, and if I was going... What do you recommend best, the river rock or the mulch for the for around um, everything? To me, the mulch is a more of a tropical look. Uh, the choice is yeah. strictly up to you, you know, river rock or uh, even lava rock or granite or mulch. Uh, I, the, the mulch is certainly the most natural thing and the thing that your plants would like best. But uh, So how, thing how is deep that, would you put the mulch? A couple of inches. Two inches, and then probably have to redo it every year. Every couple of years, probably. Every couple of years, gradually. It's just going to gradually break down and just you know kind of shrink a bit. And you don't you don't take the old out and put new in. You just keep adding a little bit more to the top. Right. Okay. Like Mother Nature does. That's what you know. Always imitate nature where you can, and that's what nature does every fall: is dump all those new leaves on top of it, and that's what you'll do to your new tropical garden. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Let me tell you one other thing that comes Uh to mind: uh, is they're not true palms; they're cycads. But the sago palms and what they call a cardboard palm, which is a zamia, those are other good uh, candidates for this uh, tropical area you're trying to create. Yeah, I've already got a lot of sagos in the backyard, so I wasn't going to put any more in front. I want you to look also at crinum, C-R-I-N-U-M, crinum lilies. Uh, They're going to be evergreen in a mild winter. They will freeze down in a cold winter, but they will give you beautiful flowers, and they certainly create a very tropical look. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for all the information. You're certainly welcome. Good luck with your new project, Judy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, we've got time to talk to Omar before a break. Good morning, Omar. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? Uh, The rainwater catchment tanks are overflowing, and I managed to get my garden through two weeks of 106-degree weather, 8-mile-an-hour winds. I tell you what, you're 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 a good gardener to accomplish all that. I bet you wish you had more rainwater tanks. Is the only thing. Uh, yes, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I wanted to touch on a couple of things. Uh, you know, last week I tried to get in, but cell phone service is bad where I'm at. But uh, you were talking about uh, spiny hackberry and having having seen it for the first time, and you know, yeah. down here we call it we call it granenio, but it uh-huh. it is an evil plant. I mean, it's it will tear you up. But you know, even horseback, we don't. You know, you give that plant all the room, it, <laughs> all the room it it wants. That, that's what shaps were invented for. Yeah, you know, and they're they're but they're pretty chicken hearted. They're easy to kill. But uh, anyway, I thought I thought it was funny. But, but uh, I wanted to ask you. I've got 
you know, I get my seed from uh, tomato growers out in Florida, and you, if you order X amount, they give you, they throw in some free this and that, and uh-huh. and there was two in there that I that I planted and got up, and and uh, orange, ox heart tomato, and Mariana's uh-huh. peach. Do you know anything about those two? I've seen a red ox heart, and uh, but I don't know an orange ox heart. I, those are new varieties. Uh, did you grow them this year? Yeah, I've got. A, I started them, and they're 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 about oh eight or ten inches right now. They're they're doing a lot better now that now that the, the temperature has gotten you know. <laughs> lower. But, well, get them in the ground. You you won't get cool quite as quickly as the hill country does. But uh, um, you know that's the fun of just growing something that that is new. Th- those are both new to me, so uh, we'll both learn, and perhaps mm-hmm. they'll turn out to be very very good. Perhaps uh, you'll say, well, they were worth what they cost, which was nothing. <laughs> but uh, I I suspect the oxhard are uh, are good big, typically a very meaty tomato, and I'm not familiar with the orange ox heart but if it's any anything similar to that kind of the, the ox heart that i've grown is a real dark dark red and a very meaty tomato very good tomato hmm. well, i hope i hope we, i hope they produce but yeah well and uh any any listener out there that has not tried nematodes for fleas uh-huh please do so because it uh you know it, one day, every time I, we do it, it it knocks them out every time and for me, it's frequently two or three years before I have to put them out again. I don't know if you've uh, oh, wow. if you have worse flea problems than that, but compared to the poisons, which are you know dangerous and not all that effective, the beneficial nematodes are just phenomenal. And you take care of the fire ants and a few other issues as well. So I'm sure glad they've they've worked as well for you as they should. Yeah, we did the we tried the nature's way this time, where it looks like they're looks like it's just a container full of cork. But it's uh-huh. a little on the messy side, but it, you know that's all they had. But we usually get the little blue sponge type, yep. of, you know. But uh, anyway, okay. Well, well I always I sure use use what use what works. I've always had the best luck with the uh, blue sponge. I think they just they're uh-huh. they're you know they're like five hundred thousand different types or different species of nematodes. And uh, the Hydro Gardens people that make the Little Blue Sponge, they just put a mixture of them on there that does real well. But uh, oh. you got to go with what you can find, and if you're getting good control, that's all that matters. So uh, I appreciate the info, Omar, and you let me know how those tomatoes do. Sure will. Thank you, Bob. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, uh, we're going to talk to Amy and Brian and Leslie and Michael. That's the order those calls came in, so that's the way we take them. And Amy is up first. Good morning, Amy. Hey, good morning. I have a question about moles. How do we get rid of them? Okay, you must not be in, uh, <laughs> where are you located if you're fighting moles? In, uh, Floresville. Okay, um, the only way that I have ever really been successful with getting rid of moles there is actually a mole trap it is uh it's not a live trap it it is a kill trap but uh, I think Victor is the one that makes them and the way that you set it you know the mole tunnel you can see where they are you step on and 
crush the tunnel. You set this trap on top of the of the place that you've collapsed, and uh, it has a paddle that you know sits down on the ground. The mole comes along, trying to open the tunnel back up, and it triggers the trap, and the mole gets skewered. So. Um, uh, you probably find them at a you know good hardware store, feed store, but I don't like the poisonous baits because dogs and things like that sometimes get into them. But uh, in my old college days, we did a lot of research with moles and gophers, and uh, and that mole trap works very very well. Okay, okay, they're definitely not gophers because don't gophers are putting a mound of dirt on the ground, right? So yeah, these gophers, are not. You just see the yeah. tunnels. Yeah, you see the tunnels, and uh, it's not a problem that we have in San Antonio, most of the hill country. It's a big problem in Houston and uh, uh, some of the other areas where you have less rock and more soil. Now, moles, the damage that they do is more just through their burrowing and their tunnels. Unlike gophers, gophers eat roots. Gophers do damage to plants. Moles are blind little rodents that eat insects, earthworms, things like that. So they're not directly damaging your plants by chewing on the plants or anything like that. But if you get, especially if you get any number of them, they will tunnel back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the point that your plants don't do well. Okay, that's that's at the point we're at now. So, okay, okay. we just need to set some traps. Okay, that's yeah. what we need to do. And get, get the folks at the feed store to show you how they work. Buy somebody that's familiar with them or buy from someone that's familiar with them. And, uh, you know, handle them carefully. I can see where <laughs> I, I can see some warning labels on there. Yeah. And I always think about people that, you know, I, I love the thing that says, uh, you know, I think we ought to just take the warning labels off and let things sort themselves out. That would get rid of a lot of the stupid people. But uh, a, a mole trap is something that uh, even I was glad somebody showed me how to set it the first time. But uh, uh, okay. they are very effective and uh, they will get your problem under control. Sounds great. Thank you so much. You're sure welcome. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Next up is Brian. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. How are you this morning, sir? Oh, it's just a a nice morning out there. Good rains over the past two or three days. Cloud cover and about 10 degrees cooler than usual. So uh, my kind of morning. Yeah, we had uh, 3.9 inches the past couple of days here uh, in the Seguin area, which was really nice. Yeah, I've gotten a little over two and very, very thankful for it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's the best rains we've had uh, in close to a year now. So uh, glad you yeah. got a good soaking as well. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, uh, my question is, uh, I planted contender beans here, I don't know, three, four weeks ago when you told me to back yeah. first part of August. And they're, they're up about six inches and looking real well, but last week... Um, I had sections of them, six, eight, ten-inch sections that just fell over and turned brown and died. And, uh, I mean, the plant looked healthy one day, and the next day it was just laying on its side and already turning brown. And you um, have some cutworms uh, in there. Sometimes grasshoppers will do that. I'd... Uh, uh, I'd think about using the dry form of BT, which is called Dipel. Uh, uh-huh. Do you see a lot? Of, are you seeing a lot of pill bugs in your garden? No. Uh, okay. Now maybe they will be after this rain, but I haven't noticed them. Yeah, 
Um, you know, the, the 106, 108 degree days, I lost a bunch of contenders because they just simply folded up in the heat. But we seem yeah. to be getting beyond that. So uh, I would look at the lower part of the stems. If they appeared to be nibbled on, it's either cutworms or pill bugs. Cutworms we would okay. deal with with BT. Pill bugs we would deal with with uh, something called Sluggo Plus. If it's just the heat, okay. hopefully, hopefully we're beyond that, and what you have left should grow very well. You can even stick a few more seeds in if you like. Contenders only about that, a 48 that, beans. So. Yeah, that was my next question. I was wondering if it, you think it's too late to go ahead and maybe replant a few of those small sections. I don't have a long row. It's only about 70 70 feet long and I, I want to try to maximize my little garden you know and yeah i'd i'd very definitely stick some more seeds in there it'll spread out your harvest as well okay well that's uh that's all i got for you today no no uh no cut ant issues or anything like that right now so well i hope that that stays uh I hope that stays that way, and I hope you get another good rain in the near future and get out and have a good Labor Day. Good to talk to you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. Next up is Leslie, and then it'll be Michael and Mike. Right now, it's good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Uh, listen, I just had a quick question for you. I have a, a front flower bed that has been in front of my house for about 20 years, and I okay. had it lined with brick which I took out because it, it wasn't very pretty and it was a do-it-yourself job that was kind of crumbling. So I had it replaced with some really pretty stonework that has drainage holes in it and so forth, things like that. And But it's taller than my brick was. And I had planned to redo my flower bed in October. And there's a big, giant oak tree in this, this flower bed, by the way. But the landscaper was wanting to build it up a bit. And um, I was concerned that whatever he might build it up with might kill my tree. But um, or hurt my tree, and uh, he explained to me that the compost that you put into it would not hurt the tree. A couple of inches or so of that would not hurt the tree versus something like dirt. You know, this this tree is uh, was not as tall as the window of my house, and I have a two story house, and now it's it's as taller than the house. So it's a gigantic, huge oak tree, but I don't want to hurt the tree, and I want to make sure that putting a couple of inches of compost in this flower bed with this big oak tree is not going to hurt it. It's going to hurt it. Your landscaper doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, what I recommend that people do in that situation is, in effect, uh, create a bed like a donut. You know, put an inner layer of uh, rock or whatever the bed's been made of because you need to have air circulation around the trunk of that tree even having a real thick growth of english ivy or something like that that impedes the air circulation will harm the tree over time so uh wishful thinking to think that uh you know that the compost wouldn't cause problems because it certainly can but it should not be a big issue to move a few inches out from the trunk of the tree and in effect put a little inner ring and then you've just got a nice big donut area that you plant anything you'd like in there so i mean the so you're saying don't plant anything um i don't know how far away from the base of the tree um, I, I'm I'm really not worried about what you plant because as long as it's not yeah. a real dense vine, I'm not concerned about the plants. But I don't want to see uh -huh. any kind of wet material, whether it's mulch or compost or dirt. None of those things uh -huh. should be piled up on the trunk of that oak tree. Well, and this goes along the front of my house. So there's there's uh -huh. flowers everywhere except 
you know, I could skip the area around the base of the trunk of the tree. I just don't know uh-huh. how far out to avoid. Well, again, I wouldn't be concerned about the flowers. I, you're, you're not going to create enough of an issue with anything you're going to plant. We, this was in a, uh, oh, in a, an area I think was in Houston where people actually let their ground covers get so dense. But I'm not concerned about that in your bed. I, I just don't want you to see, don't want to see compost or anything else piled up around that tree. Anything that mm-hmm. you plant in that bed is not going to be a problem to the tree. Well, he was going to put compost all along this flower bed and then plant mm-hmm. those flowers and things and yep. different things in there. That's fine, but so, he's but, got to do something to protect the trunk of the tree. He can't pile the trunk, the compost up against the trunk of the tree. And, like, okay, is there any recommendation on how far away to stay away from the trunk of the tree, like 12 inches, 24 inches? or Just, just uh, far enough away to get uh, good air circulation around the trunk and far enough away mm-hmm. that the first rain's not going to wash it all back down there and pile it up against yeah. the tree. So, yeah, it, it's going to okay. be a judgment call. There's no hard and fast rules, but... Uh, uh-huh. um, Okay. It's, it's just what we're, you know, uh, so you can't really say 2 inches, 12 inches. If you were putting a physical barrier up, you know, 2, 3 inches would be just fine for the next 5 years. Eventually that tree's going to get bigger and bigger. And by the way, uh, your home's on a slab, isn't it? Yes. Okay, then don't let anybody scare you about, oh, it's going to mess up the foundation of your house. You will hear that before long, too, and that's simply not the case. The tree is going to grow its roots the opposite direction, away from your home. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as as long as you've got air circulating around the trunk of the tree, you're going to be just fine. Okay, and you can't see the root flare of this tree. You've never really been it's just, it. Was, the tree was there when I came here, and it, it's always been there and built the house there. So... But it has grown, you know, as tall as a house since I've been here in about 20 years. So um, well, but I certainly don't want to lose it. At some point, you're going to need somebody to, in effect, expose the root flare because who knows how much soil the builder may have piled up around the trunk of the tree. And this, you know, having soil above the root flare doesn't kill a tree overnight. Sometimes it takes, you know, several years. But unfortunately, because of the nature of the way that it kills, sometimes by the time you start seeing problems, it's too late to save it. So I would have somebody with an air spade, I'd have an arborist get in there because that tree may already be buried, you know, several inches. And uh, you really need to get the all of the material that's piled up around the trunk above the root flare. And it might be a couple of inches. Uh, friends with an air spade were working around a pecan tree not too far from us, I think actually on the street called Larkwood, they had to go down six feet to find the root flare of the tree. The builder had piled so much soil in there. So at some point, you're going to need to find that root flare. Okay. Well, now listen, if I wanted to do the um, flower bed in October, and I'm also putting in new bushes along the side of the house as well, um, Mm -hmm. is October the best time to do this or... Would I risk them getting frozen or, I mean, I, you know, in the later months or how does that work? Well, you know, it just, it depends on your, your plant material. October's too late to plant periwinkles, but it's a perfect time to plant right. cyclamen and pansies and things like that. So um, mm-hmm. you will simply, I mean, I wouldn't be planting tropicals. I wouldn't be planting semi-tender things that wouldn't have any time to get established. I don't think I'd be putting in hibiscus or bougainvilleas or things like that that 
might make it through the winter if we waited earlier. But most landscape shrubs and uh, certainly your cool weather flowers, you know, it's an ideal time to plant. Uh, you're you're going to plant things that are not going to be affected by the cold. So don't be tempted when you go to Lowe's and see those absolutely gorgeous marigolds out there, those great big pots of uh, periwinkles or things like that. No, those things are going to freeze and die. But petunias yeah. and dianthus and snapdragons and stock and cyclamen, you know, we've got more things we can plant in the winter months than we do in the summer months. So it's just a matter of uh, choose your plant material carefully and don't necessarily trust the guy that's passing himself off as a landscaper because if he doesn't know mm-hmm. any more about piling compost around a tree, I hope he knows more about plants okay. than he knows about that because I've heard some right. uh, some fables <laughs> that I just want to say, you've got to be kidding me. They really told you that? So choose your plant material carefully, and you'll be just fine. Yeah, and most of the things I was going to plant were things that would would last or would be, um, you know, come back perennially or whatever the word is there. Sure. They didn't just die out. So, yeah, that was my plan. But, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I didn't, like, hurt my tree with this new flower bed. So I appreciate well, your help I'm on that. Well, I'm with you 100%, and I appreciate you calling. Thank you very much. You're okay. certainly welcome. Thank you. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. We are back to gardening. We're going to finish up with Michael and Mike and Ray. And, yes, by the way, Dr. Kirby will be live live and local today. He'll be in just a few minutes. So if you have those uh, pet questions we couldn't do last week, we'll certainly be here to help you this week. And uh, back to the phone lines is Michael's turn. Good morning, Michael. Hi, Bob. Um, can you hear me okay? I hear you just fine. Okay. Um, I have a new house, and um, it's up on a hill that's nothing but rock. Uh-huh. Um, I have a little bit of dirt in in the, in the yard. Um, I wanted to plant. I wanted to plant it solid with clover. Um, do you think that's a good idea? And what kind of clover would I use? Well, clover is strictly a cool season grass. Clover's going to totally be gone when it gets hot. So uh, we sometimes plant clover uh, Clover as a wintertime cover crop, but it's not going to make a satisfactory yard for you. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. I just don't want the dirt washing away um, until I can get some grass planted. Um You'll you'll and, actually be much better planting uh, the cool weather rye, what we call annual rye. It okay. sprouts a lot faster. The deer the deer are just going to eat the heck out of your clover or veg either one. That's one of their favorite <laughs> things, and you'd you'd never have a chance to get anything going with uh, uh, with clover. But within probably two to three weeks. Uh, and it doesn't matter annual or perennial because even the things they sell they call perennial rye, they don't last uh, more than one season anyway. But ryegrass is going to do a much better job of holding that dirt in place until you decide exactly what you want to plant. And okay. uh, mid, by, by mid to late September will be a fine time to put it out, and it'll be beautiful green for you all winter long. All right, that sounds good. Um, I'll, I'll give that a try. I'll let you know how it goes. And figure on planting about uh is is your yard very is there very much slope to the yard? Um it's a it's a little bit up and down but not much of a slope. 
Okay. Well, you'll be planting uh, somewhere. You'll be planting probably about a pound of uh, somewhere between half a pound and a pound of grass seed per hundred square feet. So okay. if you've got say a thousand foot, this thousand square foot area that you want to plant, uh, you're going to plant on uh, putting out eight to ten pounds of the grass seed. The good news is it's pretty cheap, so it's not going to be a real big investment. But we have to put out, we put the ryegrass out about ten times as heavily as we would say plant Bermuda seed. Okay. Okay. All right. That sounds good. And you water it, um, and it'll be green in about three days. So uh, you call me if you have any further questions. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome, Michael. Thank you, sir. Okay, from Michael to Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. And I want to report to you. I want to report to you that Friday uh, here in Leon Springs, I got three and one tenth inch of rain (laughs) in an hour and forty five minutes. Yes, one of our managers lives out in that area, and she got about three inches in that period of time, and. I'm sure it was his welcome. Uh, most of the rest of us didn't get quite that much, but we're all very thankful for what we got. But, man, you guys were in the sweet spot, uh, you know, on on uh, on Friday. It, it really, really doused you good. Yes, sir. Bob, I come to report to you that uh, I put in my papaya <clears throat> seeds uh, 12 days ago, three mm-hmm. different pots, and on this morning I noticed there's two of them popping up in one of the pots. Good. Uh, but what I called to ask you about, I was asking you about drying the seeds or putting them in, and you'd said just mm-hmm. put them in. They just came out of the seed, I mean right. out of the, the fruit, and uh, I'll continue with uh, dry seeds. But I called to ask you about an Esperanza. Uh-huh. Yesterday I, I pulled some uh, of the seeds off of a plant, they're kind of skinny looking, uh, string bean looking uh, seeds. And I opened one up, and I didn't know there's little bumps along the side of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Are those individual seeds, or in planting these, should I uh, plant them green, wait for them to dry, or? Okay, uh, is uh, is this your big yellow Esperanza, the big gold Esperanza? Yes, it is. Throw the seed away, don't plant it. Oh, my, um, my. Because uh, the seed from the, the the really good gold Esperanza is called Gold Star. Uh-huh. And uh, when you plant it uh, from seed, it comes back with about the individual flower clusters. will have about a third as many seeds. And it will be two, two months later and really starting to bloom. So if you want to propagate your Gold Star Esperanza, uh, par- propagate it by cuttings. Uh, there are a lot of things that's fun to grow from seed, and you would be very successful growing those seeds, but you would not be pleased with the long-term results growing uh, uh, Gold Star Esperanza from seed. Much better from cuttings. Oh, my goodness. Well, is this uh, string bean-looking seed I have, mm-hmm. is that that's uh, one uh, one seed, or are there oh, multiple? No, no it, it makes a pot of seed, and when it's mature, it'll have six, eight, Ten seeds per pod, but it's better from a cutting. It's much better. I mean, it'll grow just fine, but it won't be nearly as pretty a plant as the big plant was. Well, I'll continue experimenting. You uh, do it, and uh, I'll let you know about it. I'll look forward to hear from you, Mike. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye bye. Certainly. Bye.